the top of buildings and towers just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. and firestormfan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the irksome Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> is, that your, is that your irksome I voice? I guess so. That might just be... Cra- I'm not sure what that word means, really. I might just be <laughs> crabby or something. Curmudgeonly? Curmudgeonly. <laughs> well, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing fine. Doing fine. You know, by the time people hear this... Uh, free comic book day will be over, but I'm pretty excited. Uh, my kids and I, we're going to go out to the comic book stores. Uh, our local one's going to have the 501 first, the local chapter of the 501 first. We're going to have stormtroopers out there and stuff. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yes, we're going to be, uh, I'm going to be spending the day seeing, uh, Iron Man three. So I guess that seems like an appropriate way as any to spend free comic. If you're not in a comic book store, seeing Iron Man three is probably the second best way to do it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Marvel has quite the pull on when Free Comic Book Day gets scheduled or when their movies get scheduled because they always seem to be the same weekend. There's That's always a Marvel true. movie. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're okay. right. I don't know. I, uh, I'm excited. My kids love it. They, they, sometimes they dress up like my, my stepson dressed in a, in a Spider-Man costume one time. My daughter's dressed as uh, Supergirl for these things before. She did inform me she's going to dress up for this one, yet she doesn't have a costume. I think she, they just materialize. She doesn't realize those kind of things only show up in stores around Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> she told me the other day, she goes, oh, well, you'll just buy me a new Supergirl costume, Daddy. I'm like, uh, no. No, I won't. I bought you an Avengers t-shirt the other day. You can wear that. <laughs> wow. Harsh. That's right. That's me. I'm the mean dad. <laughs> that, and I'm not going to find a Supergirl costume right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, we've got a great episode here for you, folks. To, uh, the number 19 issues are finally all out. We had to wait on poor old Aquaman to get his butt off the, the, the Mercy Reef and publish an issue, for goodness sake. <laughs> what was the deal with that? Why were they so late? Uh, I, well, it was only a week late. Let's not act like it was you so know, it was, late. All right, come on. It's not Hulk versus Wolverine or anything here. Uh, <laughs> I believe the the thing was Paul Pelletier is having uh, 
some difficulty with the deadlines. That is what I hear. I mean, I may just be gossiping. Maybe I shouldn't even be saying that, but that's what I've been hearing. I read it on a bathroom wall, so. Very nice. Very class. <laughs> uh, so we're going to cover the, the 19 issues of Justice League, Aquaman, and Firestorm. Then we're going to do some listener feedback from the last two insane episodes. <laughs> and the listener oh, feedback. did we get some feedback on our last show? Just a little bit a little of feedback bit. Okay. before our monstrosity that we released. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm happy to say almost all of it is positive, which is insane. Bunch of masochists anyway, out there. I tell you, I tell you. So before we get started, though, I do want to say uh, this episode of the Fire and Water podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Uh, One of the deals you can find on InStockTrades.com right now uh, at the time of this recording is Showcase Presents Aquaman Volume 1, a trade paperback. Collecting the classic tales of Aquaman from Adventure Comics numbers 260 through 280, 282, 282, and 284, and more. Over 500 pages highlighting classic tales of Aquaman featuring the debuts of Mira and Aqualad. Uh, normally, the showcase is $16.99, but right now you can save 45% off and get this book for only $9.34. 500 pages for 10 bucks. That's, That's a lot of insane. Aquaman. I tell you. Uh, another deal you can find right now is the Firestorm, the Nuclear Man trade paperback. Now, this collects the stories that first introduced Firestorm uh, from issues 1 through 5 of his original 1970s series. Plus, it includes the unpublished issue number 6 and stories from The Flash, uh, the backup stories he did, 289 and 293. Great stuff. Jerry Conway, Al Milgram, wonderful stuff. Now, normally this book's going to go for $17.99, but right now you can save 45% at in-stock trades and get this book for only $9.89. Heck of a bargain, folks. So for, uh, for these and all your other trade back paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Justice League, sir. <laughs> yes, Justice League. You said you're leading us through it. That's why I was quiet. <laughs> Oh, we got to do these handoffs better. I've only done 51 shows. Uh, okay, we're going to do super quick. We say that every week, but I really mean it this time. We're going to talk about uh, Justice League number 19, War Games by Jeff Johns, Ivan Reese, Joe Prado, Eau Claire Albert, and Rod Reese, of course. The issue opens up with the Red Hood talking to Alfred. I don't understand how there even is a Red Hood in the New 52 universe, but that's not for me to figure out. Somebody uh, breaks in, he sneaks into the Batcave, and he steals all these little cool little uh, cases that Batman has with everybody's insignia on them. Uh, very handy, the little S-Shields, uh, Aquaman shields, the Flash shields, the whole bit. Where does, where does he get those printed? I know, those are nice. Well, he's got one of those 3D printers, I'm sure. Uh, um, okay, and I'm just going to keep interrupting here. Um, and doesn't this dude look totally like somebody from the, like, uh, does, the operative? He looks like the operative, yeah. It's very confusing. When you first see him, I'm like, wait, this is, what? Okay. Um, well, the funny thing is, the this this guy, or you're assuming it's a guy, you know, we don't necessarily know that, but it looks like a guy. Uh, his uh, retina is authorized to be read by the uh, bat computer because we see the little mm-hmm. retina scan reads it and it approves him. So it's not like he breaks into the bat to the bat computer to steal this stuff. So it's a little hint as to who that might be. Anyway, well, it also also scanned his hand. Okay. Anyway, we're trying to get through this. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> We then have a little interlude with the new Adam, who is playing inside of a computer game. In uh, a little nod to the Sword of the Atom miniseries, which was a lot of fun. We see that she's playing like one of these like you know World of Warcraft games, but she's inside the game, which is a, a great little beat. She shoots herself up to the Justice League uh, Watchtower, and the only other member there is Firestorm. 
You mean uh, Firestorm? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody has to, has to continue the Smurfette thing. No, they don't. Uh, no, they don't. Okay. It ends now, Kelly. Okay, down in, uh, okay, back down on Earth in, in the country called the Kond- Kondok? Kondrok? I don't know how you pronounce that. It's Black Adam's country. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, S- Superman and Wonder Woman are kidnapped, are uh, rescuing some kidnapped hostages. They're getting involved in that. Superman looking very Henry Cavill-like in the one shot with his beard. Yeah, yeah I didn't think about that. There you go. Tie-in. Uh, <laughs> Batman comes back, talks to the Red Hoods, notices that all these things are missing out of his, uh, out of his, uh, the, the, out of the back computer. He calls in Cyborg for help, and as well as Aquaman, who does a little search, and he comes up empty-handed. I thought that was a nice little nod, because, I mean, you, you often forget that the Batcave is surrounded by underground rivers. Yeah, it's not right, 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 that Aquaman could just pop up through the floor. It's kind of a nice bit. Um, then we cut back to Superman and Wonder Woman. They're talking about what they might do and how much they could do together, about what the, the kind of rights they could wrong. And, of course, Batman shows up and is spying on them. He tells them that... Uh, that now that he knows they're a couple, and he regards them as a, as as a couple to be very very dangerous to the world, which <laughs> I don't know. It's... He pulled out his bat cock block. Yeah. I, I, whoa. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, he totally like you know he's trying to ruin their relationship. It does he's look. It does get seem in between Superman and Wonder it Woman. Does seem kind of ridiculous. Um, Wonder Woman doesn't take too kindly to that, uh, of course. We then go back up to the Justice League, uh, to the Watchtower, and Firestorm and Adam are taking a tour around. All of a sudden, they get hit by something, and uh, it's uh, someone blasting into the Watchtower. And who it is? Who is it? It's Despero. The Return of Despero, which is, I believe, his first appearance in the New 52. And that is the end of the issue. So. Well, hold on. You skipped a big important thing there. Is that it's not just Despero. It's Despero wearing a kryptonite ring. Right. Okay. Which is a big deal because that's what we assume got stolen from the Batcave was a kryptonite ring. I didn't assume that. That's interesting. I didn't necessarily assume that. Well, I mean, you think about you it. Say okay. It does make sense. Yeah. I mean, Batman in the old continuity always had a kryptonite ring. Um, the you know the the operative like guy broke in and specifically stole a super opened a Superman case and it had a green glow coming out. Right. And oh, on the right. cover, yeah. which is a apparently an imaginary story or hoax cover. Which is great. Has Batman wearing a kryptonite ring? So, I mean, I think there's enough, uh, more than circumstantial evidence there to suggest that that's where it came from. I think you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably yeah. right. So, I do like on the cover how Aquaman is holding up Superman, like Superman's being injured by the kryptonite, and Aquaman's one is holding him up. And I sat there and I thought about that for a while. And I'm like, why is Aquaman holding up Superman? Why is Aquaman so prevalent on this cover when he's barely in the issue? And then I realized what it was. This issue was solicited. Back when Throne of Atlantis was going on, and Aquaman was like the talk of the of everybody. You know, Aquaman was like hot, hot stuff a couple months ago. Not that he's not now, but he was even more so then. So of course they put him on the cover for that solicit. It's like, oh wow, look at that. Yeah, nice Aquaman sales driver. I like it. I like it a lot. Weird. The big thing for me in this issue, of course, was the firestorm appearances. There's these great shots on the the watchtower or satellite thing where Firestorm is talking to himself, as he's wont to do. But the way that the conversation is written is we can only hear Ronnie. We can't hear Jason. So I can't think of an occasion before where you just heard Ronnie talking to himself. And it comes out pretty funny because he's having a full-on conversation, you know, arguing with Jason. And, uh, of course, the, the new, fe- new female, Adam, who, by the way, is hot, uh, shows up. And she's sort of like, are you talking to yourself? <laughs> you know, giving him a little bit of flag because that was fun. 
And throughout that time, they're hanging out. He keeps making reference to Jason, saying, like, no, I know what I'm doing. That made me happy. And uh, I think it's a, it's a very nice introduction for Firestorm for people who aren't that familiar with the character. I think he has a, a decent representation, and it gives me a lot of hope for how Firestorm's going to be portrayed later on in the Justice League. Yeah, their, their scenes are a lot of fun. They really are. I mean, the other guy, I mean, he said Aquaman does gets very little to do in this issue in Cyborg. They get, they get quite a bit. I mean, the Atom gets, you know, a lot of space. Like I said, I love the sort of the Atom gag. The, the yeah, double that's great. Spread, the reference to sort of the Atom. I thought that was really cute and... You know, and it, it's it, it's one of those references that if you don't get the reference, it's still funny. I mean, it's just like, oh, she's just in a, in a World of Warcraft game, and it, it works on that level. But if you also remember the Sword of the Atom miniseries, you're like, oh, that's a nice reference to Sword of the You know, it, it's, it, I think it's a well-crafted joke. Yeah, no, it's really good. And, you know, it, it, this make, it sort of makes sense that they're getting a lot of the focus, Adam and, and Firestorm, because, you know, we've always – everyone always says the Justice League, you know – it's easier to write the Justice League when you have characters that don't have their own books. Because right. you can develop those characters more. So it's very hard to develop Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, whereas you could take the time to develop an Adam who never doesn't appear anywhere else, or Firestorm who's about to not appear anywhere else. Or like a break so, dancer or something like that. <laughs> or a break dancer. But he does have his own book. So um, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting about Despero, two things. He's wearing the blue cape. Which, if I remember right, really started in the 90s when he wore the United Nations flag as a cape, if I remember right. Yeah, I think that started with the Justice League International book or whatever, Justice League America, which is, I think, is what it was called. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it's possibly had one in the end of the Justice League of America series. Oh, you know, I think he did when he, when he fought JLA Detroit, JL Detroit. When he, he, trans, he transformed into this yes. version of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just couldn't remember. I mean, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But um, it, interesting thing here. He's squinting like you can't see his other eyes. Mm-hmm. Makes me wonder: is this Despero blind? Like he can only see out of the third eye? Maybe. Hmm. I think you're reaching there. I could be reaching. I could be. I'm I'm known to reach sometimes. But uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting, and you know, I'm sure Frank was uh, pretty happy about this being his buddy Despero's back. You know, he's. <laughs> He runs to the Martian Manhunter blog, and every December he transforms it into the Despero blog. Is Frank happy about anything? Not particularly, no. Uh, Last issue, last episode of this show proved that for sure. (laughs) Someone described us as being more blue than usual, and boy, wasn't that true with Frank there. (laughs) Yeah, just, well, okay, we'll get to that in the feedback. He brings out out the best in us, what can I say? Um, I did like this book a lot. I, I, I really think Justice League is on the uptick as a series overall. I mean, there were some bits of it. You know, I do find Batman interrupting Superman and woman's relationship has looked kind of silly. You know, I like... It's a little heavy. And, a little and, heavy. And he's... I wish they didn't write him so, like, super paranoid all the time. Like, it would be nice. I mean, Grimm is fine, but paranoid. Like, he's just like, you know, I, I, I'm, you're all my potential enemies. Like, I'm all right already. You know, like, you know, jeez. Um, so other than that, but, but I, I said I like the addition of Firestorm and the Atom. And... You know, I, I hope that we can get to a point where they're they're not the members aren't fighting with one another. I want to see them all as a team together, fighting a bad guy, and maybe Despero will bring that out because he's obviously going to be a, a heavy and one of their big, you know, powerful villains. So maybe that will get them all to stop sniping at one another and actually just fight together, which will be fantastic. Well, in the, in the spirit of them fighting each other and Batman having paranoia and stuff, I mean, you and I talked a little bit before we started recording. I mean, some of the stuff with Batman having a secret, you know, cave within the cave where he hides out his contingent plans to take down the rest of the Justice League. 
I mean, it, it's re- it really is a a callback to the Tower of Babel story that Mark Way wrote, right? Which then got adapted just last year into Justice League Doom, the um, the animated movie, and so it's sort of like this is it's pretty recent to bring this story up again. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of even though I enjoyed it, it just can't seem like huh, you know for. I feel like we just did this. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Anyway, but happy to see Firestorm. I'm really digging the Atom, and, uh, you know, looking forward to subsequent issues. It's a good uh, read. Yeah, the one that I just have to mention, too, before we forget this, the artwork, of course, fantastic. You know, the, the boys are just knocking it out of the park. The Despro shot is great. The the more mellow shots of Superman and Wonder Woman looking at the sunset is really sweet. And, of course, the, the opening big spread with the sort of the Atom bit is great. These guys are... They're, you know, they're just fantastic. It looks, it looks, it's a beautiful looking book. Beautiful Abs- looking book. Absolutely the best art team DC's got. Yep. Hands down. Mm-hmm. No denying it. Firestorm looks great. They do a great job with the Kirby, Kirby Crackle and, and his wrist, fiery wrist gauntlets and his hair. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they've got him down. They, they've really done a nice redesign for the Adams costume. I mean, it looks very much like Ray Palmer's costume at the same time. It's just, she, she pulls it off really sexy and it, it all works really well. Very nice. All right. Next up is Aquaman number nineteen, uh, which is Death of a uh, Death of a King chapter two, again by Jeff Johns, Paul Pelletier, and Sean Parsons and Rod Reese. Um, this is features like the like the all the books this month it features a, the gatefold cover, and on the front half you see the big ice giant guy just sitting there looking all old and whatever. But then you flip it open and you see that it's Aquaman and Mira bowing down to him, which is like what. Uh, <laughs> Um, Which also doesn't happen in the comics. It also doesn't happen in the comics. <laughs> a lot. Of, I mean, it is it is WTF month, so maybe WTF is that uh, that this doesn't happen in the comic. Yes. Well, as someone has said, every month at DC is WTF month at this point. Oh. <laughs> um, the uh, okay. Anyway, this issue opens with Aquaman calling uh, an old friend from the past history of Aquaman, a character we're all familiar with, although he looks a little different here. Um, <laughs> Topo, uh, I was about to call him Both Kraken. Yeah, I was about to call him Topo the octopus, but he's clearly not an octopus here. He is uh, this mammoth Kraken-sized creature. So, thought that was a nice, you know, bring. John's has been bringing all the characters back one by one here and there. I guess Aqualad is one of the few that's not that's still to come. We've got Volko, we've got Ocean Master, we've got you know Tula, we've got Topo. He's working, working, and everybody. Garth is uh, hanging out with Wally West and Donna Troy right now. There you go, in, in another universe. Um, uh, Aquaman asks Topo for help in finding the scavenger, and surprisingly enough, Topo pretty much rejects him. Um, similar to the conversation that Firestorm had with his alter ego in Justice League, this conversation that Aquaman has with Topo is one-sided. We, we, know, that, we know that Topo is responding, but we don't hear it. So we just see Aquaman looking like he's talking to himself. And he asks Topo for help, and Topo just disappears back into his cavern. Uh, and uh, we have a shot of Aquaman looking kind of saddened and surprised that uh, Topo has rejected him. We have a brief interlude at Belvery Prison with Ocean Master and his lawyer. Then we cut back to with uh, the ever-popular Merc and uh, Tula. <laughs> and uh, The ever-popular, ever-popular Merc. He's getting, getting his own book. It's going to be fantastic. Um, <laughs> Oh, you didn't know doing, that? Yeah, Merck. doing a crossover with the others, right? Yeah, it's going to be superb. Um, Merck and Tula are off to visit the home of a guy named SWAT, another uh, Atlantean who lives kind of at the edge of town. They uh, Merck f- f- 
thinks nothing of breaking into uh, SWAT's house, and we see that SWAT has been collecting various bits from the surface. There's a camera and a safe and a couple different things. SWAT then shows up, and he looks kind of like uh, Abe Sapien from the Hellboy books. He does. Yeah, and he is he is not too interested in um, the fact that Merc has broken into his home. They fight for a little bit. Merc finally rips off his mask that uh, SWAT wears, and he's uh, we learn that SWAT um, is the only Atlantean that can't breathe water. So I guess that's wearing that's why he's wearing this mask with the tube on it. Merc almost drowns him until Tula gets him to stop. And Merc basically says, you know, we want you for help to uh, rescue our former king. Uh, Merc does, I mean, Swat doesn't seem terribly into that. He says something like, you speak of treason against the current king. But Merc continues to try and talk him into it. We never see his answer, because at that point, Tula is called away by Aquaman to help out. Uh, we cut up to the surface. There's a, uh, a boat with a you know, bunch of surface dwellers on it. It gets caught up in this snowstorm created by the ice giant. Mira tries to take on the ice giant briefly. She hits him with a giant block of ice at one point. She disappears into the water. We find uh, Aquaman and the men, and some of his men, have located the scavenger's subs. Um, they, as they get close, we see that they're booby-trapped. There's some fuel set on fire. There's a giant explosion. It doesn't hurt any of them, though. They all land by the sub. They break in, and they see that the two Atlanteans that had found the sub were murdered. In fact, one of them looks like he's been, like, experimented on. We see him inside the sub, and he's got all these nasty wounds on his ribcage. It's pretty grisly. But he's still alive, though. You said murdered. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. The one guy's murdered. So they've actually, they've performed surgery on him. And because they've, you know, they've cut him open and then stitched him back up. Right. And he's still alive. So it's like, it just reminded me of those stories you would read where, like, the guy wakes up in a bathtub of ice in a hotel room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his kidney's gone, right. Your kidney's gone, yeah. Well, the first, as I meant to say, the first guy's dead, not the second guy. Um, and then we cut for the end of the issue. We cut back to Mira. She is encountered by these two armed kind of guards, and they seem to know her, and she seems to know them. She asks to speak to someone named uh, I don't know how you pronounce that. It's N E R E S N E R E U S Neris, I guess. I I'm not your go-to person on pronunciation. Just want okay. to point that right, out. Exactly, nuclear. Uh, she asks, she asks <laughs> she asks to speak to this guy. We see him, and he refers to Mira as his wife. And he asks her, where the hell have you been? And the sting at the end is next, the return of the others, which I'm surprised <laughs> at. Um, so that, yeah, that's Aquaman number 19 in a nutshell. What is it about bossy people underwater have to be carrying something? And this he's carrying a big, you know, bladed weapon. It's like everyone underwater has to be carrying some sort of, like, tough guy weapon. What is up with that? I guess, you know, you're running across nasty creatures in the sea, and it helps to have something that you can stabbed them with, I guess, or something. It's 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 a hard knock life under the sea. Uh, now yeah. she's she's in the Bermuda Triangle, right. so you know where where was the entrance to her Zebel dimension before? I don't remember. Okay, but Bermuda Triangle sounds like it would make sense to me. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So so is this Zebel or is this still the bottom of the ocean? I think this is the bottom. No, this is the bottom of the ocean. This is the bottom of the ocean. Why do you say that? Because we didn't see her disappear into any sort of, like, portal or anything. She went into a whirlpool, didn't she? Yeah, but we don't... Uh, I don't know. To me, it still looks like she's she's on here on Earth. That's what it looks like to me. Well, I'm just wondering if whether, like, you know, the, the if, you, if you get sucked down in the Bermuda Triangle, your, your ship ends up in Zebel, 
or does it end up at the bottom here? And, and this is where they are. Just so, I don't know. It's, it, it strikes me that I think she's back in Zebel because if this guy says, where the hell have you been? She's obviously been missing for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And like, he could have just gone and looked for her, you know, if, if rather than waiting in the Bermuda Triangle for her to show up. So I think he's somewhere else, like inaccessible to Earth would be my guess. Okay. Well, I guess we'll find out. I mean, I know it's clear that the, this guy and Aquaman will be fighting it out soon enough. Seems seems logical. Uh, and I also look forward to the death of Merc whenever that comes. <laughs> I'm already tired of him. I'm already tired of him. Like, he, really? Every, yeah, I'm already tired. Every issue, he's just like, rah, rah, rah. like he's basically had the same dialogue for three issues straight. Of just like, I don't like the current king, I'm going to rescue him. Like, all right, I get it. I get it. Like, you know, I, I feel like with Jeff Johns, like, all right, get Merc to do something. Like, stop just having him bitch and just have him do something. So I wonder if he's got long hair under that helmet. Okay. That seems like a Well, then he would look even more like the Peter David Aquaman. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So, so when they eventually fight, I mean, he needs to grow a beard. Yeah, then and he can be right. Old Aquaman. Right. It's 90s Aquaman versus... Exactly, exactly. Now, what did you think? In here, there's an ad for Injustice Gods Among Us, and it's mm-hmm. got the Aquaman action figure. What do you think of that? Think of what? The action figure? Yeah. It's cool. I mean, you know, I think I read the Injustice Gods series, the comic series. I liked it. It was fun. It was it was big, big, dumb action comic book, and I liked that Aquaman is kind of a badass in it, so it looks neat. Cool. I just thought it was, it was a different take on the armor. It was very mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I said I like this issue. I still, you know, I I feel like I'm, I'm, it feels weird that the others are coming back already. That seems like a strange thing. Um, I, you know, I, I Aquaman is in this issue so little that I was sort of like we're just rocketing from character to character. But you know, this is you know we're headed towards a, a big conclusion. Obviously, versus the Ice Giant and Merc and everything else. So you know, I trust John's that you know he's going somewhere with this. But I, I would like to have like a little more Aquaman in my Aquaman. You are going to have some dinosaurs on your dinosaur ride, right? Yeah, so, yeah something like that. <laughs> uh, the artwork's very nice. Paul Peltier does a great job. The, the, the two-page shot of Mira and the, 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 the Bruin Triangle is very nice. And the giant shot of Topo is great. And, of course, the, um, the colors by Rod Reese are exceptional, as, as usual. I like this SWAT character. Is he, he's not based on anything from previous continuity, is he? Nah, exactly. No, no. Yeah. He looks cool. I, I don't, I'm interested. Like, it strikes me, like... He may become like a supporting cast member as um, as Mark dies. Maybe he's going to join the others. Ah. The others are a couple of guys down, so maybe he's going to join. Topo's going to join the others. <laughs> that Topo thing is so weird. Like it's freaking me out. Like is it's you know I gotta wonder from classic story is Topo the octopus? Was his origin still the same when he got transformed into a kraken, or? Is he always a Kraken? Oh, you know, I'm or... betting he was always a Kraken. I, I, Jeez. That changes those classic Aquaman stories quite a bit. <laughs> it's a great shot. The opening shot is really, you know, it'll look, uh, I can see the Aquaman live-action movie directed by Guillermo del Toro, and he'd really dine out on the shot of the <laughs> giant topo it, coming out of the cabin. It is a kapow moment. It is. about that. It is. Absolutely. It was good. Like I said, it wasn't one of my, like, my favorites. I think like it filled a little, like a lot of explanation, a lot of people stating things over and over again. But, uh, you know, it's okay. And, and, and said, I'm interested in seeing who this guy is at the end who seems to be Mira's uh, either current or former husband. Can girls be bigamists or just guys? Girls can be bigamists. Yeah, right? I think so. Yeah. I don't think that's a sex-specific term. So I think she's, I think she's big, a bigamist. <gasps> Mira. Oh, no. 
Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Moving on. All right, next up, The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, number 19, by Mr. Dan Jurgens. I'm sorry, Story and Pencil, art by Dan Jurgens. Finished ink by Ray McCarthy and Carl Kiesel. Colors by High Five, letters by Travis Lanham. Then the cover is by Jurgens, McCarthy, and High Five as well. And uh, Firestorm created by Jerry Conway and Al Milgram. Yay! (laughs) Uh, Your your gatefold, fold-out WTF cover this time... Uh, on the first panel, you've got Firestorm battling Killer Frost, which is not that unexpected. I mean, we've known it's coming. It's Killer Frost. It's, you know, kind of his most well-known villain. And in some regards, she's even a little better well-known than him, so, you know, right now in the DC Universe. But uh, once you open the gatefold cover, you find out where it says he thought Killer Frost was his only problem. He was dead wrong. Because <laughs> on the opening panel, he's also got to contend with Black Bison, Plastic, Typhoon, Hyena, and Multiplex. Oh, my gosh. As Ronnie calls him, uh, them in the comic, he calls them the Sinister Six. <laughs> it's almost as if they knew the book was being canceled and they all wanted to pop their head in before it was too late. You know, I kind of think that's what happened here. And uh, I'm going to hopefully uh, going to try and ask Dan Jurgens that question sooner or later and see what, see what comes of that. But, I mean, he did say on an interview in comicbook.com he wanted to be sure to get as many characters out there as he could before the series was canceled. I'm just curious whether this story was plotted before he knew the cancellation was coming or not. Like, I mean, I wonder if, you know, he was planning to have six villains in this book or was just going to slowly dole them out. So um, a very quick summary at a very high level here is this comic is one big fight. Uh, it probably takes place over about 10 minutes. And uh, the, the main focuses are Firestorm's trying to get away as he's trying to protect Ronnie's mom. That's about the whole story. Uh, to go into a little bit more detail, his first encounter, he fights Killer Frost, Hyena, and Black Bison. Then he gets knocked outside and fights Typhoon. And then on the docks, he fights Hyena and Killer Frost. And then he fights Multiplex. And then Plastique runs up and explodes all over him, uh, which gives you your cliffhanger ending. Meanwhile, about halfway through the issue, uh, Jason's dad, Alvin Rush, and uh, Jason's friend from school, Tanya, show up. And they're... they're Trying, you know, basically, they're going to go help Jason as their goal, and they get there right as the building is exploding. So yeah, um, that's at a very, very high level what happens here. So just wanted to keep it keep it ro- rolling here. A couple different things to talk about. Um, I guess, you know, this issue is sort of a bittersweet pill, I guess is the best way to put it, maybe. Because, like, you know, on one hand, I'm thrilled to get a new issue of Firestorm. I'm thrilled to see so many new rogues. Oh my gosh, you know, our classic rogues, I should say. I mean, it's you got six of his most well-known rogues right here. I mean, that's so amazing. However, the the bittersweet side of it is, you know, it's all coming to an end soon. One more issue. And no slipknot. <laughs> no slipknot. That's not where I was going. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. But okay, thank yeah. you for bringing that up. No, no what I was going to say is it, 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 having six villains in the comics is a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because the characters are out there now. They exist. They don't have to wait. They're out there. They, people can use them. They can take on a life on their own and become something. The bad news is that it's a 20-page comic book. You know, If you're introducing six characters or five if you don't count multiplex, if you're introducing five characters in 20 pages, you just don't have the time to really focus on the characters at all. You can't really do any characterization. They're essentially just a power set. There's no backstory. There's no person. There's not much personality to speak of. I mean, in fact, some of their personalities are somewhat interchangeable in that they're just, you know, mercenary bad guys. 
is kind of how they all are right now. So I'm thrilled to have the characters, but I'm also just a little disappointed. So I would have liked to have seen if, 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 he'd, if he'd had the time to have two issues about Black Bison, you know, an issue about Hyena, you know, three issues about Typhoon or something, you know, or whatever, or even if it was just one issue, just to see those characters to develop. Because that's what I would, love, would have liked to see. But you know what? You take what you get. So, uh, as, as my daughter, uh, she's been taught to say, you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. So there we go. <laughs> the one thing uh, that popped out of me this issue was the one where Killer Frost shoots the uh, ice things at Firestorm's mom. Uh-huh. I first thought that that one chunk of ice went through her face. Oh, geez. Like, went all the way through. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I looked at it later. I was like, oh, no, no, no. It just, it just hit her on the cheek. But it, the way the blood trail is drawn, it looked like it went in one side of her mouth and out the other. Gotcha. And yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. whoa. When did, like, when did, like, Dan is angry. <laughs> this guy just, got super violent in this comic all of a sudden. Well, I, I was kind of grossed out by the sound effects there. Slip, <laughs> rip, yeah. slipped, and shrissed. Yeah. It's like, ooh. Yeah. Those just sound gross. Yeah. <laughs> Um, some different fo- ideas, the things to talk about. You know, let's talk about the rogues for just a second, because that is probably the biggest news about this issue, is, is all the rogues you get. Um, I liked Black Bison being in control of the elements. I thought that's very clean, very good for his power set. One of the things I never really liked about him in the previous continuity was he could, like, command any inanimate object and create, like, bring statues to life and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was kind of silly. Um, I get where it was coming from. Originally, it was intended, like... He could animate, you know, a, a, a horse in a museum, a Native American museum. You know, that made sense. But when he starts animated Alice in Wonderland statues, you know, in the park, as cool as it was visually, it just it, it didn't really make a lot of sense for his power set. So I like this power set of controlling the elements. That's a plus. Um, Killer Frost, I, I, I have some questions about her. Like, I wanted her... Is this the same Killer Frost that we got a sneak peek at in the first couple issues of Firestorm? Remember, there was a there was a sadistic mercenary woman. Mm-hmm. I want to say her name was maybe Fortier or Frontier or something like that, and she was caught in the same explosion that created Ronnie and Jason as Firestorm, and she was developing ice-like power. So it was clear she was going to be Killer Frost. I wonder if this is the same lady or not. Be interesting to find out. Get on that. I'm I'm all over it. Her costume, by the way, was designed by Cully Hamner and Andy Kubert, and apparently Dan just put a couple of touches of his of, of his own on it. Um, I'll just come out and say it: I I, I don't like this costume other than Kill, of Killer Frost. Okay. I don't like her look. I don't like her costume. It doesn't do much for me. Um, I wish it was. I wish you could say something else, but I, I really can't. I will say that you, you can tell this issue which half was um, Ray McCarthy and which was Carl Kiesel's. They both do an excellent job. But when it comes to Killer Frost, specifically, I will say I think Carl Kiesel did a, a better job with interpreting her costume than Ray did, uh, at least for my light, for my personal tastes. The Carl Kiesel's, her hair is a little more solid as an object rather than several icicles. Her, her costume collar has a little bit more of a flair. I just I, I thought he did a little bit better job with the costume than than Ray did, but either way, I, I just her original costume was so iconic. It was you know a ballroom dress basically. Now, did it make sense? No. <laughs> but neither does you know two guys that fuse into one being and can fly and have nuclear powers. I mean that doesn't really make sense either when you step back from it. So you just if you're gonna if you're you know in for a penny in for a pound let's let's go the full length and go the ballroom gown. But her original costume hey, was that so. 
so iconic and so cool looking and so different than everyone else that I just loved it. So I, I wish they'd gone that route. And then even her later costumes, I mean, they were essentially just souped up bathing suits. I think somebody said one time, but I, I, I still would have liked that better than this. This is just kind of, seemed kind of plain to me. So sorry. <laughs> uh, Typhoon looks like he, he's interesting. They've changed him some. He can now create water shapes. Like he created a giant water fist, which is new for him. He didn't really do that kind of specific stuff before. Now, one of the other differences here is here he, he's a corp- corporeal guy. I mean, he's like just a blue dude, whereas in previous continuity, he literally was the storm. He was the wind. He was the rain. He was the typhoon spinning. And he could change his shape and stuff, so maybe maybe the giant fist could have represented sort of him making his own body into a giant fist, I suppose. But it is, it is a different power set, and it is different that he's here as a corporeal person and apparently has stolen Dr. Manhattan's little short pants. <laughs> they need to get him over an Aquaman. Uh, yeah, I thought about that. They called him Aqua Boy at one point. Yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention Killer Frost. Her ice is organic. That's interesting. And from a plot, I totally get it. You know, you need that kind of thing. But it was just kind of a – that's a big change. That's a big twist. That's really most of my notes on the Rogue specifically, but just different things. Um one person wrote in on my blog after reading this issue and said something that got under their skin. And unfortunately, under I read... skin. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> One of their comments was, and I read it before I read the comic. So I sort of had it rattling around in my brain while I read the comic. They said they felt like Jason was too much in this issue, you know, saying, Ronnie, you got to save your mom. You got to save your mom. You got to save your mom. And. When I read the comic, unfortunately, I'd already read that statement that that guy wrote, and I had to agree with him. It's pretty much like every time Jason's speaking, it's about, Ronnie, your mom. Ronnie, you can't leave them with your mom. And it's just like, okay, we get it. We got it, Jace. We know. Thanks. We're, cut. It's all, we're all over it, ma'am. He's the Merc of the Firestorm. <laughs> uh, I sound so negative. I, I'm not really intending to be negative. But. And yet you keep talking. I hate you so much. Final you're, you're the one saying negative things. Why? I'll say some cool stuff, which I should. This, I, I liked the usage of the supporting cast. I did like the usage of Ronnie's mom. I like the usage of Alvin Rush, Jason's dad. I like the usage of Tanya. They're doing good things with the supporting cast. This book does not leave their supporting cast behind, which is nice because a lot of books do. No supporting cast left behind. So I, I like that aspect. Of, I like That's one of, been one of the great things about Jurgen's run on this is that you, know, you get that. And this one, you know, Alvin and not Theodore, Tanya decide to, you know, they're going to take things in their own hands and go help Ronnie and Jason, which is great. I think they get in the car and they start heading that way. So that's pretty cool. They show Firestorm underwater again. We saw that a couple of issues ago. So I dig that because you get to see high fives, amazing colors. They do this really cool technique where they bring the reds down because when you go underwater, red's the first color that disappears. So they bring the reds down and it's, it's the coloring is really nice on it. And they acknowledge that pretty much Firestorm does not need to breathe. He creates oxygen just for the sake of doing it in front of his face, but it's pretty obvious he does not need to breathe, which is a pretty cool thing. So I would like to see him in space sometime. We referenced that in the old uh, the, the World War Mars episode that we did the Fire and Water podcast where Firestorm got sucked out into space. Yeah, I was just going to say, with, with Despero ripping open the satellite, we may see Firestorm in space next issue. So, of JLA, that is. Firestorm mentions that he cannot affect organics, even the ice that has surrounded him. He can't blast it or anything. That's... <laughs> What? He is helpless at a Whole Foods. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a change for his power set, too. Originally, he couldn't transmute anything that was organic. 
but he can still blast it. You know, he can still blast stuff. I mean, he, he's he's blasting people in this comic. They're organic, so I wasn't quite sure why he couldn't blast ice. He uh, apparently cannot blast ice, or he can't blast organic ice for some reason. So, again, I don't know. Well, I mean, he he, he should useless at a kegger. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, help me out here. Help me. I mean, he blasts hyena, right? That's and hyena is injured. Hyena is organic, if I understand correctly. So it's just it didn't didn't necessarily stand to reason there. So. I uh, I don't waste any brain power trying to think about the physics of this. <laughs> <laughs> You're just not enough of a fan. I and guess I just, not. I just accept things. <laughs> okay, he can't do that. He can't do that. Let's move on. So I'm interested to see one of the things they do in here. There's a shadowy government agent that's going to be getting involved next issue. <laughs> Aren't they all? <laughs> well, I, 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 it's got me wondering who it is, and uh, I'm very interested to find out. I, I have a gut instinct that it might be Major Force. That which would Major Force is also a, a nuclear-powered character. Captain Adam was in the series earlier. It would kind of make sense. Uh, he's all tough talking and trash talking. It would make sense if it's major force, not my favorite character in the world. Uh, hopefully there's no fire. There's no refrigerators near uh, Ronnie's mom. Major force does show up. So we're just hoping for that too soon. It's been like 10 years, dude, still or 20 years. It's been 20 years. Still too soon. Still too soon. Still too soon. <laughs> uh, I think Gail Simone would have something to say if, if Dan did do a refrigerator thing. So. I think so. Now, one thing I noticed, I really like, uh, Ray McCarthy is, as we've said many times, is a really good match for Dan Jurgens. He really is. And I tell you, on the very first page, those shots of Ronnie's mom, where she's just she's looking sort of you know hollow and, and harried and with all the anxiety of what's going on. Every time I see those kind of shots by Ray McCarthy, I can't help but think like, wow, this reminds me of Neil Adams' artwork. Hmm. So okay. I just, and that's a huge compliment. I love Neil Adams' stuff. So I just think that. Jurgens and McCarthy together. There's some echoes of uh, of Adams. I think it's, that's really nice stuff. Yeah, they're a great team. We've said it before. They are a great, a great art team. I'd love to see them on another book. Yep. In fact, there's another really nice panel on uh, what is this? Page five. It's a it's a nice close up shot of Black Bison's face. Uh, it's it's the second panel. It's it's a wide panel, and it's just Bison looking pissed. It's a really nice panel. I really like that. It's another um, McCarthy Jurgens panel. I'm pretty sure. Really comes off nice looking. And I thought Multiplex looked good throughout this issue too. When he shows up towards the end, that's sort of a even though it's a simple looking costume, I think it's probably complex to draw because of the shapes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I think they do a great job with Multiplex. I think he looks really cool. And uh, it makes, I was very excited to see you know the character back in, in full force. So I want to see more of uh, these rogues. I'm, I'm, I am really bummed the next issue being the last one. I hope we get to see more of the rogues. I don't know if they'll have a chance to do any you know characterization or not, but you know it'd be nice. I know that uh, Norm Rapmund is doing the inking on the next issue. Oh really? So, oh, yep. Okay. Him, him and him and Dan go way back. So uh, he said he's getting his buddy Norm to ink the last issue. That. Pretty much wraps up my coverage of Firestorm. I mean, overall, it's a fun issue. I did have a lot of nitpicky things because, you know, I'm a nerd. That's just the way it works. But, you know, as a whole, you know, I enjoyed the issue. I'm very happy the rogues now exist. They're not a, you know, a letter, a nerdy letter going, please bring back Black, Black Bison. You know, it, it, it's, it really happened. It's here. So he can now go on and he can develop in other books and he can become a thing of his own, you know. So I'm excited for that. 
That's all I got. Okay. Well, that's going to said that's going to wrap up our coverage of the 19s. Uh, we're going to come back and do uh, our la- another massive dose of listener feedback. Uh, but the break, the break. Well, okay, I'm a little little angry about the break uh, because <laughs> <laughs> the last episode's break featured uh, that guy playing uh, Lego Batman and unlocking the Martian Manhunter figure. That I was love that. I like that. Right. Other than you, Shag, that was the most universally reviled episode break that I've done. Uh, anyone who bothered to comment on it hated it. Um, so what? I know. I don't know. I thought it was cute. You know, I thought it was just nice. But everyone who did com- like I said, I'm not saying everyone hated it, but those who commented hated. We didn't get any positives about it. So as sort of a punishment to all of you to, to sort of make you appreciate these breaks or when they're gone, uh, we are now going to enjoy 15 seconds of pure silence. What? <laughs> so you it, you are a you are a tough school marm. Enjoy and 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 I want you all to think about what you've done. <laughs> See you in a minute, folks. Fifteen seconds. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listener's Feedback! And let me tell you, for, for just two episodes worth of feedback, we have nearly the same amount we had for the, the last two episodes. It was like 20 pages of feedback. Y'all really wanted to talk about those episodes we just did recently. And if, you're, if, if, if this is your first episode in a while, our previous two episodes, we talked about the Hostess Fruitcake or uh, hostess fruit pie ads and did some listener feedback. And then we did a massive, massive four hour. I'm not kidding. Four hour podcast. Four and a half hour. Four and a half hour podcast covering the DC samplers from the eighties, as well as a massive chunk of listener feedback. And I really, I told Rob, I I think we're going to lose listeners with that four hour podcast. I thought this was going to be a bad, bad mojo, but apparently you guys loved it. I don't know if they loved it, but they accepted it and listened to it all. I, I the, the theory behind the four and a half hour podcast, I guess, should be explained is is that we knew that it was going to be long. We wanted the fifties show to be long, and we knew we were going to cover all the DC samplers in one go. And then when we added Frank to the mix, we was like, well, this is going to make it even longer because now there's going to be three of us jockeying for attention and whatever. And then we were like, well, we want to throw jockeying in- for attention. Well, that's really what it is. And then we we're going to throw in feedback. And it worked on the theory uh, that I have about movies in that I love movies, like old-timey movies, like the Universal Horror Monster movies or like those old film noirs that are like 72 minutes long. I love those movies. At the same time, I also love movies that are like three or four hours long. I tend to think that if you're going to make your movie three and a half hours long, you must know you have something really important to say and it can't all be cut out. So, But at the same time, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of two-hour movies that are padded. For some reason, like that middle – point uh they the movies I, I you know i've seen lots of two-hour movies where i'm like this could have been 90 minutes but i've never said that about a four-hour movie so my attitude was well you know what if we make the show three hours that might just feel too long but if we make it four and a half <laughs> it's so absurdly long that it sort of becomes a joke in and of itself so that was sort of the theory behind it and <laughs> you, you can judge whether that was a good idea or not but that's really where it came from, because what as we were recording it, once we hit the four, like the three hour and forty five minute mark, I was like, "Oh, to hell with it!" And now let's just go, you know, let's just keep going. So, I think what for me it was once we hit the two hour mark, it was just clearly this is just going to happen. Yeah, and I want you all to contemplate. The show was four and a half hours long. There was stuff I cut out. Did you really? Yes. 
I didn't even notice. Not a lot. Edits. Not a lot. Okay. It was. It was. Yeah. The, the show was so stream of consciousness. It's. It, you might not notice that things are missing, but there was some stuff cut out too. So that's we talked even longer than that. Well, and then we had like thirty to forty-five minutes before in the green we room did. before we even started. Yeah, we did. Rob's yelling at us. Can we please record? Well, you guys, yes. This well, when you guys started talking about what soft drinks you like, I was like, all right, I think I, we can safely avoid this and just move on to the show. So. Dude, I can give a ninety-minute dissertation on Diet Mountain Dew. I'm just saying. I've heard it. Anyway, <laughs> feedback, feedback, Woo! feedback, feedback. All right. Uh, here's the deal, folks. There is there. We heard from you guys all over the place on this episode. You know, Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, Tumblr. I mean, literally everywhere. So, I apologize in advance if I missed you. If you left feedback and I failed to acknowledge you and us mention you here on the show here, just shoot me an email. You know, you can do it at what's our email address? Fire and Water Podcast. Uh, Fire Water Podcast. I'm sorry. Fire Water Podcast at Comcast.net. Just, yeah. So shoot me an email there and just say, hey, Shag, I left some feedback on the episode. Tell me where you left it so I can try and figure out where I missed it. And, you know, we'll be sure to mention you on the next time we do listener feedback. It's just, there was so much of it. And I realized even this, as we're getting ready to record tonight, I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot this chunk of it and this chunk of it. And, and so, anyway, if I miss you, just let us know. So, and we're, we're just going to kind of breeze through. We're probably not going to read every word, but just as we go, uh, Lee Novak 16 left us a message over on Firestorm Fan. This is about the Hostess Twinkie episode. This is also the one where apparently I said the word so quite a bit. And Rob encouraged everyone to turn that into a drinking game. So, here we go. Oh, I just did a so. Look at that. Anyway, here's Lee Novak's comment. As you know, I listen to the podcast at work. After playing the little so drinking game, I'd just like you to know that I'm currently at Scottsdale Memorial Hospital having my stomach pumped and <laughs> updating my resume. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I admit, I laughed out loud when I read that. Dale Russell over on uh, something called Google Plus left us one regarding the hostess fruitcake. Fruit, fruit, I call them fruit, what are, fruit hostess cake? Hostess fruit pies. I keep trying to say fruit cake. Yes, anyway, I know that. Fruit pie episode, he just said, this podcast is making me hungry. <laughs> And, well, then our, our, our work here is done. D.C. Dillon uh, left a comment on Facebook about the same episode saying, Just finished listening to the second Fire and Water podcast on the Superpowers toy line. Oh, I'm sorry. This is on the Superpowers one. Suddenly felt like playing with toys. And he left us this cool picture of uh, Calabax Boulder Buster or whatever it is uh, crushing Firestorm. And I was like, what? So I had a little fit about that, but he told me that that didn't last for too long. So. <laughs> He also put up a really nice, sweet picture of uh, Dr. Fate from the Superpowers line. And then he had to go put poor little Lemon in the wound and said, mine has a cape shag. I know. That was nasty. That D.C. Dillon guy. He's just not nice. Dill. Just Dill. Not Dillon. Dill. Oh. I'm thinking of Dick Dillon. Yes. He's no longer with it. We got an email from James Guerton. Hey, guys. Listen to the latest podcast, number 49, the Feedback Podcast. And at the 1421 mark, I heard something that proves – what some have long suspected, that is, Rob is delusional. <laughs> I, can, can, I can confirm that. Just James. before the introduction of the Shag So Drinking Game, at the 1421 mark, Rob addresses the listening audience as ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Does he even think that for just one second there's an, there's an internet podcast on the subject of Aquaman and Firestorm that has any female listeners? <laughs> I, am, I am sure that a genetic scan of your nuclear subs would reveal that 100% of your listeners would have a Y chromosome, asterisk, Asterisk, those th- th- though Frank's test could throw off the test findings. <laughs> now we're everybody's insulting each other. Look forward to the next episode. Fan the flame and ride the wave, James Grid. 
<laughs> now, to be fair, uh, Aaron's wife listens, right? I'm I'm sorry. What did you say, Shane? The, to be fair, uh, Aaron's wife listens, right? Uh, well, Aaron's wife uh, listens to the Who's Who show. Uh, so I don't know if that counts. Now, I don't know if you heard in the background, Darlin' Tracy just said, does she count? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if she counts because she has to listen because she's here in the room with me. She's not choosing to download this and listen to it. So I don't know. <laughs> she, she's forced to listen to half of it against her will. Yes. This is it's sort of like the Ronnie Jason Yeah, this is like Firestorm. You're only hearing half of it. It makes even less sense probably when you're only hearing half of it. That, so. would, have to make you, it, that would make you either Jason or Professor Stein, wouldn't it? I'm Professor Stein. I'm totally Ronnie, though. I mean, there's just no denying that. His libido, at least. <laughs> uh, we heard from Oscar Ololololalady. Uh, he said, the Fire and Water podcast and Sean Baby. It's all connected. Oh, yeah. Next, Fire and Water, Fire, Water, and Punchmaster podcast. Uh, that was obviously in reference to our hostess uh, fruitcake episode. That was on purpose. <laughs> heard from Charles Warden on Facebook. Thank you. Uh, heard from Mike Gillis. And he had a suggestion. He was talking about the Hostess thing. Remember how you mentioned how the Hostess Fruit Pie ads, they couldn't run a pie ad featuring a character that was in their main book as well. Right. Like a Superman Hostess ad couldn't run in the Superman comic. Exactly. Which, by the way, someone ran a Superman ad in Justice League this month. So I just want to say I thought that was a little out of line. But anyway. <laughs> he suggested that maybe it wasn't a DC loop. Thing, but maybe it's a legal issue because before they were repealed in the 1980s, there were much stricter laws about advertising aimed at children. You had to have a much more clear line between what was advertising and what was entertainment. So the idea of having Superman in a Superman comic doing the ad may have been breaking that legal lines. So he was trying to say that maybe it wasn't just a DC or Marvel policy, but it was in fact a, a legal reason. Right. And thank God they were repealed in the 80s, huh? <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh... <laughs> We Which got, is why we got E-Man, right? Which is why we got E-Man. Uh, the, the, the Mars Chocobot Hour. We got uh, an email from <laughs> Alexander Adrock. Hey, fellas. I love that name, Alexander Adrock. Um, hey, fellas. First of all, great episode. And wow, thanks for the mentions. Always an honor. Well, you just got honored again, Alexander. I just wanted to throw in my two cents for the British versus American candy debate of 2013. Yeah, like he gave it a title. <laughs> it's got a caption and everything. The actual answer is that British chocolate is superior to American chocolate, but jelly babies are in fact gross, as is any candy that contains stinging nettles in the list of ingredients. <laughs> I'll leave out my opinions on British desserts, such as trifle and mince pie, as I have British in-laws and I need to stay on their good side. Keep up the great work, guys. Fan the, fan the wave. AA, Batman fan of 30 years. Don't hate y'all. <laughs> He's still going through his phase. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a 30-year phase. It's a 30-year phase. He got very excited that... Uh, you called him Flintstone, and uh, oh, that's right. He sounds like a Flintstone character. Yes, right. And he says just because a guy uses a woolly mammoth to shower. <laughs> that's great. And he misspelled Flintstone, and then got in an argument on Facebook with somebody about it. <laughs> <laughs> what a good Thanks. use of your day. I and I, I have to say, Alexander was not in the wrong on that one. It was just, it just a discussion that went the wrong way. So. Anyway, uh, he says that he, he – he, the episode 50, the sampler one, he said that I thought it would be too much, but you guys kept getting sillier and sillier. By the time Rob agrees with Frank that the ad is shit, it becomes the best episode yet. <laughs> that would be the, the Conquerors the Barren Earth ad where you finally just lost I did it. give in. I just gave in. You I, just surrendered. I, You're I like, did. you know what? I like this ad a minute ago. Now I hate it. It's shit. It's crap. <laughs> you snapped. I did. 
We got a nice shout out by Dan Jaynes over on his blog. So thank you very much for thank that. You, Dan. Appreciate it. That's uh, autologicool.blogspot.com. Okay, so I've got this big block of text from Diablo Frank, and I feel like he sort of monopolized the last show, you know, with his insanity. So I'm just going to read a couple of little things rather than spending all this time covering his comments uh, and feeding his ego worse. Because let me tell you guys, it's it's out of control. I made the mistake of sending him a link to all the positive listener feedback from episode 50. You know, I might as well have just been, you know, I don't know, telling the prom queen she's pretty. It just, it was, it's, it's bad, bad news. So anyway, uh, he said uh, in regard to the hostess fruitcake episode, he said, no Marsha Manhunter hostess ad. There was a conflict with this deal at Nabisco. I thought that was funny. Clever. He probably had someone write that for him. Then he talked about the superpowers Marsha Manhunter card mentioned Commander Blanks and Mr. V. So they ha- so they had to be part of the dream line. So then he goes on to that other character whose name I can't pronounce, Malafalafalafalafal. Professor Arno, uh, Arnold Hugo, Beljuz, the Marshal, Hunter Commander. So he's basically listing out all the characters he would think would make a good action figure line for Marsha Manhunter. Uh, let's just make sure that it's pretty clear that that would sell just about as well as G.I. Joe Extreme did in 1998. So I don't even know what that is. Exactly. So okay. I'm not sure I got my year right, but it's in that era. He made a reference here to Brightest Day. I had talked about Martian Manhunter representing the Earth and Brightest Day. He said, Martian Manhunter representing the Earth and Brightest Day was so many times more stupid than Hawkman representing air that I'm embarrassed for your big so-so mouth shag. <laughs> Very nice. And then just to add fuel to the uh, Frank Giaconetti war, he wrote, Giaconetti seemed to confuse Shag's indifference to Batty Bat and the Funky Outsiders with my slavering hatred of them. I should start a new blog devoted to offering a daily rationale for why they suck. I could do a theme year on Geofart alone. Now that was just uncalled. I've never quite heard that affectation uh, for Geoforce, so I thought it was pretty funny. And he was kind enough to give us a shout-out over on his blog. He, uh, he, Which one? He talked, uh, Idlehead. Talked about an idle head. Uh, we got a Twitter comment from Siskoid. He said, anytime I think of hostess ads, the one that comes to mind is the Marvel one with the giant flea. Uh, hashtag not saying it's my favorite. He got- <laughs> uh, real quick, I was on an episode of True, Two True Freaks where we actually read that ad, that exact ad, like in character. Everyone had to play a character. <laughs> you, know, weird- you know what would have been great? You know what would have been per- They should have done a Doctor Who hostess ad. Uh, well... It was a little bit too early for that. Because the hostess ads disappeared, what, 84? 80, yeah. But no, but I mean, Doctor Who was around in the 70s. But it didn't really take off in the United States until about 84, 85. Did and, it really? Okay, all right. And Marvel wasn't even, Marvel's first Doctor Who comics they published, not the magazine, mind you, but the comics, I want to say that was probably 84. Was it that late? Really? It was, a, it was a, one of the later issues of Marvel premiere. Right, right, right. Okay, all right. Oh, I, I might have my ears mixed up, but I, that's I what I seem to recall. Okay. I just want to see Doctor Who. Here's this. I think it'd be fun. Anyway, he left a comment on Firestorm Fan about the episode as well. What turned you off to Doom Patrol, Shag? The appearance of Super Hip? Shame on you. <laughs> uh, he talks about some translations, but it's a bunch of French stuff, and I don't care about that. Stop with the feedback. <laughs> about your stupid frog stuff. Stop with the feedback. I write He's the Canadian. I, exactly. I said frog. Stop with the feedback. I write the comments as I listen. So Rob's warning comes a little late. So I played the water so game. As you can imagine, I had to press pause often. I like uh, I like how he talked about the Firestorm action figure line. And he actually listed out a bunch of good characters for an action figure line. He talked about Firestorm, Firehawk, Multiplex, Enforcer, and Tokamak. And a clear plastic 
uh, Martin Steinhead sold separate with the Firestorm figure. Which was my idea. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. I, I came up with that idea in the Superpower Show. Okay. All right, okay. All right, he then left a comment. Uh, he left a per-book comments on the DC Sampler episode. Oh, my gosh. Because there's no way I can listen all the way through today. My comments are per-book, so on to sample number one. Where again, we're not going to read all of this, but... Uh, Arion, like Rob, I've always had trouble with fantasy comics. Even when I was playing sword and sorcery RPGs and reading lots of fantasy novels, fantasy comics never did it for me. I'm very surprised at how much I'm enjoying Brian Wood's current Conan book. Maybe because the focus is on character or how pulpy the narration is, I don't know. And I'm with Shag, The Lord of the Rings is atrociously written, and I've never been able to get through more than 100 pages of it. Like the movies, though. In the last few years, I've tried to get back into fantasy and have read the Moorcox Elric books and the first three bricks of Game of Thrones, and I've generally, enjo- generally enjoyed them. I've even run a sword and sorcery RPG again. Ban lifted? World's finest. I'm a huge fan of Null and Void. Just, let's just let that soak in for a second. And have <laughs> posted about each and every one of their appearances. The Pantheon sucks so much, however, I traded those comics in for the late 70s Marvel comics in bad condition. <laughs> Sampler 2, Justice League. I think the top half is specifically meant to be the first members. Adam and Jay weren't founders, but the first newbies to join, which is why you don't get Hawkman, Firestorm, etc. Star Trek. As you know, I read them all from my daily Star Trek reviews, and the Mike Barr stuff was among the best. Given what I think about his outsiders, this came as a surprise, to say the least. And then it's Day 2, Sampler 3. <laughs> I like Day 2. This is like a hot right, exactly. situation. Like Argo or something. This four-hour thing. Um, I hate it when a crisis ruins a picnic. And since they seem to happen simultaneously <laughs> in all times and places, they've ruined every picnic ever. Yeah, last Sampler was pretty bad. Most of the books were ending. Either miniseries designed to end soon or continuing books soon canceled, like World's Finest, Atari Force, and Amethyst. Giggle break. Listener feedback. Okay, well, it's done. Just wanted to chime in. And that achievement unlocked. Fire and water boarded. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff uh, I want to mention uh, Edward the Unique Geek Crosby also sent us an email about the hostess episode where we talked about the Firestorm action figures and, and I was a little unsure on his email he mentioned and I don't remember if we mentioned it on the show or it was his idea but either way he talked about a three pack of figures of multiplex you could get a three pack of multiplexes which I think was his idea. I'm not sure. Either way, I love it. I love that idea. That's awesome. I'd love to have a three-pack of multiplexes. So. <laughs> Especially with that old classic helmet. You could just buy, like, a bag of them, like the Stormtroopers or something. You know, you just need a bunch, so you just buy, buy a little bag. Like they never loot. sold Stormtroopers oh. by the bag. No, I know that. I'm saying they should have done that. It would have been fun. They absolutely like you buy a have. bag of ten Stormtroopers or something like that. But this way you had to go to the TG&Y and spend $3 and get yourself a, another Stormtrooper figure every time you wanted to make an army. So. <laughs> Heard from Sean Corey and uh, over on Firestorm Fan talking about the Hostess uh, fruit pie at, uh, issue. It says, OMG, I still haven't listened to the last episode. And now this one's up. I'm so far behind on life these days. Busy reading Ace Kilroy. Thank ha-ha. you, Sean. Man don't worry, Rob. Rob. And then he wrote back, and then he wrote again, haha, I'm all done. Um, I said, ho ha ha ha, don't worry. I'm all done with Ace now. And I'm caught up on Firewater except for this episode, which I'm downloading now. Boy, um,. But he was so- – oh, no, this is 49, so he wasn't sorry after that. He would have been sorry after 50. Anyway. <laughs> he, also- he says that he, he played the little drinking game and had to get rushed to the emergency room and get his stomach pumped. Thanks, guys. Thanks a whole bunch. So, <laughs> uh, He then left a comment on episode 50. 
Holy, and the exclamation mark, 11 minutes to download this. I know Rob said it was long, but just how long is it? Not that I'm complaining, mind you. I listened to a 24-hour podcast by you guys. That's for the 100th episode. Actually, I was going to say, yeah, we, the, the comments have been so positive about episode 50 that I did tell Rob for the 100th episode I want to do 100 hours. Right. I, I'm, I bought a pack of the pens, and I'm going to be ready to go. I'm just going to take the headset to the John and take a whiz while we're talking. <laughs> I think the echo won't work right. <laughs> I liked how he said he made it through the first hour or so, and then he had to pause and get his kids ready for school. I don't know he had kids. Excuses, excuses. Well, he runs a Captain Carrot blog. I mean, I don't – that's scary that someone who's running a Captain (laughs) Carrot blog is, is, you know, shaping the future of America. That frightens me. Well, he's from Canada, so he's not, actually. No, that's Siskoid. This this is Sean Corey. Oh, yeah. No, no. Sean Corey is in Canada. Is he really? Yes. I just want you to know. I mailed him Ace Killer. I know where I mailed it. Okay. There's a whole lot of Canadian fans of Firestorm. I'm just going to say, you know, I ran that contest. I think we have a lot of Canadian ago. fans of the podcast. I don't think it's so much Firestorm. I think it's. Well, I, I ran that contest a little while ago, you know, and had to mail a bunch of stuff. Like, there were almost half the winners from Canada. Hmm. Like, what the heck is that about? So. <laughs> Angry crazy, about it. Crazy Canucks. So. All right. If we're doing the so drinking game again, boy, people are friggin' blottered again. <laughs> I'm not editing these out. I'm done. That that ship has sailed. First fifty episodes, <laughs> I'm done now. F- episodes fifty through hundred, no so editing. So so, uh, Michael <laughs> Bailey. Comment here. Oh no no, I got to read this one. Uh, I knew this was going to happen, and it it was it just had to. It was going to be a while. I had to figure out who was going to be, and it was Sean. So still on Sean Corey here. He said, "If this is on episode 50. If a podcast can be thrown across the room in disgust, this one would have been tossed from one end of the house to the other when I heard you guys bad-mouthing the Lord of the Rings books. Shame. Shame! Membership in the Real Geeks of America Club revoked, and you are never allowed back in. Seriously, guys, shame on you. Shame! Then he went on to say the rest of the podcast was great, all four and a half hours of it, and this is how long every episode needs to be. Every damn episode. <laughs> So, yeah, I knew somebody was going to get ticked that when we badmouth Lord of the Rings. There are just too many people that are too passionate about Lord of the Rings. So, there I it is. I don't recall that I said anything bad about Lord of the Rings. I just said I couldn't get through it. But that doesn't – I wasn't saying it was bad. I just said I couldn't get through it. I don't think that's badmouthing it necessarily. I, I think it would – I badmouthed it. Okay. All right. But I'm just I saying. I your first... comments, it was implicit that it was bad. Okay. I, I never – I okay. When I'm saying that I didn't enjoy something, that is it is never implicit. That I mean, I think it's bad. I just didn't enjoy it. That's all. Like Harry Potter. I'm not into Harry Potter. I would never besmirch its qualities. Clearly, people really love it. And anybody, something that's that massively popular has to have something to it. Same thing with Lord of the Rings. Most of my friends love the Lord of the Rings movies. I can't get through them, the books or the movies. But there must be something to it. So I'm not, I'm not actually bad-mouthing. I can watch the movies because I like pretty pictures. But um, the reading of the book was just hurt, hurt bad. Uh, we got a comment from Michael Bailey on the DC Sampler. Shag loves Archie. Should totally be an ongoing series. Uh, Jeez. Yeah, there were some near broke back moments between Superman and Batman and World's Finest. And then Vulcan was an All Star Squadron via time travel. Villains from then, from the then present, were taken back in time thanks to the ultra humanite of the forties, contacting his present day self. There was some. Right, well, e- each of those sort of needs some explanation. There, yeah. like Shag loves Archie, is because 
I was saying we we're talking about me. I like all the redheads, and Rob implied that I, you know, maybe I should have a romance with Archie. And then the Vulcan All Star Squadron came from the. I was questioning the ad in the DC sampler about All Star Squadron why Vulcan was there. There, and they've taken all the whimsy out of it. There was some whoozy what's to make everyone forget most of what happened. Uh, got a comment from Justin Clark, our buddy, my buddy over there on Facebook, and he wrote. Your favorite characters are a guy whose head is on fire and a guy who talks to fish and rides a seahorse. But elves and wizards are your bridge too far? <laughs> I don't know who the deuce you two are well, anymore. We really struck a nerve with this Lord of the Rings thing. Yes, we did. So, uh, anyway, he just said there, there, there's a big hole in our logic. Maybe we should put Firestorm and Aquaman in Lord of the Rings, and we would love it. The Trident would be the ring. Aquaman could be Frodo. Firestorm could be Sam. And Ocean Master can be Golem. <laughs> he he did something that cracked me up. He he said a thing. He says this is how I feel after listening to episode fifty of Fire and Water, and he sent us a link to the YouTube video from I think it's Billy Madison. Yes. <laughs> in fact, if you want to drop the audio in right here, your choice. It's great, but it's that line where the the, the guy is saying that everyone in the room is now dumber for having listened to this. <laughs> you could not be more wrong. You could. You, that's yes. Uh, we got Tumblr support from Luke Dobb from Dobb Creative. Uh, he also made another comment: "The Drunken Slumber Party." I thought I could get through it in one day. I have failed. And left. <laughs> this is great. This is absolutely great. Facebook comment: This episode works best if you imagine Rob, Shag, and Frank lying on the floor of Shag's basement in sleeping bags and in their superhero pajamas. <laughs> Rob's sleeping bag is in the middle so that he can hold the flashlight while Frank, Shag, and Frank talk into Shag's tan Fisher Price tape recorder. Frank keeps getting up to pace around the basement while Rob, tired but too excited to sleep, begins finding everything funny. There. Now give it a listen. It will make a lot more sense. Seriously, this podcast is the most crazy thing I've ever heard, but in a good way, I think. Frank, great to have you back from now on. When you appear on the podcast, I liken it to Kramer bursting through Jerry Seinfeld's apartment door. We, the studio audience, will cheer with the knowledge that things are about to get a little crazy. By the way, do, do those of us who make it to the end get Steam Awards? I, I'm ready to give a steam word to everybody who listened to it all the way through. I really am. I wish we'd said something at the end, like, you know, if you email us the word, I don't know, Farfignugan, you get a steam award. That, that would have been a good idea. Yeah, I think we were too goofy at that point. To we were a little punchy. Anything, yeah. But Luke's description of us in the basement, I mean, I like how he he went so far as to talk about you're in the middle holding the yeah, flashlight. He really painted a picture. There's no doubt. I mean... Oh, I laughed so hard when I re- when I read that from Luke. So that just makes my day. Huh. Uh, we heard from Randy Caldwell over on Twitter and over on Google Plus. And uh, on Google Plus, he liked to, he was talking about Frank's insanity about John Jones being El Dorado. He says John Jones, the Mexican Manhunter, El Dorado and Super Friends, was apparently the Martian, the Manhunter from Mars. I'm still conscious after four hours and thirty odd minutes of listening. Uh, and then he points out, I like this. Godzilla is an atomic sea creature. That's a combination of Firestorm and Aquaman. Nice one. Good connection. Mathematic score left a comment over actually on the idle head of Diablo where Frank had talked about the show. He said, good times all around. I could listen to you guys discuss DC Comics history for hours. I guess I just did. <laughs> Luke Giaconetti mentioned us over on his blog, being Cardi Hall. Being Cardi? Carter Hall. Being Nick Cardi Hall. Right. He he talked about the Hawkman ads, actually, from the Hostess Fruitcake, uh, some things. And he gave us a shout-out on Twitter. He's El Jacone over there on Twitter. And over on Firestorm, he, he left a lot of comments. Um, I'm just going to pick out a few here. 
he does uh, he talks you know quite a bit about the hostess ads of course talks about the Hawkman at ones he has a nice little back and forth with Siskoid about outsiders but then he gets in he says uh, on the one with the samplers. He says, I was reminded of these old samplers when, in the lead-up to the New 52, DC released that freebie New 52 preview book. I had about three of them floating around my bedroom for a while, in which my older son really enjoyed flipping through them and trying to name all the characters. He also really liked the green fire trucks that Green Lantern made in the Justice League number one preview. I just thought that was sweet. Then we get into some pretty hardcore arguments between Frank and Luke. Because Frank has made it his personal mission to attack Luke. So Luke is now being kind enough to reciprocate. He says, I'm not sure why Frank feels the need to attack and mock me when my own statements are already self-deprecating. Try actually reading the comments, Martian boy. Also, not sure why Frank thinks I sound like olive oil when clearly my dulcet tones are more in line with her brother, Castor. (laughs) Speaking professionally... Which as a registered and licensed Florida, uh, sorry, speaking professionally, which as a registered and licensed professional engineer from South Carolina, I'm totally allowed to do. I believe that Frank's emotional and unregulated outbursts are tied to a deep-rooted trauma in his childhood, possibly involving the so-called JoJo Floyd incident and a superpowers Golden Pharaoh action figure. I can think of nothing else which would indicate such strong neurotic symptoms, such as running a Martian Manhunter blog and actively defending the Detroit Justice League. I'd recommend seeking professional help, possibly from the firm of Risperdone, Demerol, and Jack Daniels. Check <laughs> then he goes on about you know Robotech and Tolkien and all that stuff, and does some uh, LOL cat quotes. <laughs> then he goes, uh, apparently, because there's not enough support for the ridiculous penguin out there, he, he actually gives shout-outs to Jack Dower. And then Keith Samurai even chimes in and says he has an extra penguin action figure to help out Luke with his missing parts. That made me that made me smile. I was really yeah, I mean, here's a perfect example of the community stepping up and helping each other. I mean, Keith Samra is agreed to send Luke Giaconetti part of a penguin action figure. That's insane. Now, I don't know if Keith has done the math and think about mailing from New Zealand to South Carolina. That's gonna be pretty painful, Ooh. I would think. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that just, you know, goes to show you just how incredibly generous and how wonderful this community has grown. It's amazing. Uh, we heard from Keith Samra uh, over on Twitter. He said, he just listened to the four-and-a-half-hour episode of Fire and Water. I think I need a vacation after listening to that. Then he goes on, you know, probably the best way to put this, folks, is just to say Keith Samra has lost it. <laughs> he is disconnected from reality. He is we are getting comments on a regular basis now from both Bailey Samra and Keith Samra. And they're very mean to each other. Or I should say Bailey Samra is very aggressive and angry and mean. And Keith is like apologizing and backing away from Bailey Samra slowly. I'm worried. I think it's time for an intervention. I mean, we literally got a massive comment on the sampler episode by Keith, by Bailey Samra, just tearing into us, you know, giant you know, all cap what the hell kind of stuff i mean just really beating us then we immediately got another co- email about the same episode from keith samra rather than uh rather than uh bailey samra and it's all kind and, and complimentary so i email, emailed him basically saying dude you, you've got a problem i think our because it all stems from our vibe episode where i created an alternate identity for him he wrote back, I think I may have some sort of Superman 3 mitosis effect. There's a slightly rude and unshaven version of me running around in darker clothes acting awful. So uh, he thinks he may have choked him out in a junkyard somewhere. Anyway, 
I'm worried about poor Keith. We may have to start like a little telethon for him or something. Uh, we got a comment from Daniel Cynical Adams on Firestorm Fan regarding the hostess episode. Am I the only one who loves crossovers? I agree with Frank. The Simpsons hasn't been funny or relevant in decades. It's a shame the show is still running. Oh. Uh, it's probably true. If we're solely using the ludicrous filmation series as the end-all be-all of He-Man lore, then yeah, Hordak sucks. But if you consider the comics, mini-comics, or the infin- infinitely superior animated series in the 2000s, Hordak is a legit badass and exclusive He-Man villain. Are we, are we really going to talk about Hordak apparently, every episode now? Apparently we are. This is, he's the uh, he's a composite, composite Superman, Superman of the yeah. Fire and Water podcast. Yeah, absolutely. He also left a Facebook comment, Captain Marvel frowns upon your podcast shenanigans. <laughs> I wrote back, where is the dislike button when you need it? He wrote, Hordak ate it. <laughs> um, he also agreed, about, when he sent his comment about the DC Sampler episode, he said, the Lord of the Rings is dreadful, but then I also loathe pure fantasy in general. As Superman, uh, at least Star Wars and Mr. the Universe had the decency to mix in sci-fi elements to break the pious monotony. That's a good turn of phrase. That's kind of what I think about when I think of Lord of the Rings is pious monotony. I think that's a good good way of describing it. I guess I am bashing it. Um, I never connected to any of Tolkien's characters, not even in the films. Not once was I given a reason to care if anyone died. I suppose it's hard for a modern city boy to relate to British-accented, bushy-footed dwarves who drink out of goblets, <laughs> never bathe, and recite Zeppelin lyrics by ye old fireplace. I'm still confused as to why Magneto was so fond of little people or why the spawn of Steven Tyler deserves so much attention. Three movies of people walking. Blech. I passed out at <laughs> what I assume is nearly the six-hour mark. was jolted back into consciousness by Shag's mention of Kid Video. God, Woo! I missed that show. That almost makes up for his mocking of the mighty Hordak. There he is again. Again. But not quite. The evil horde will soon invade his home. His screams will be drowned up by the maniacal growls of Grizzlor. Monjolok will destroy. This is sound like Rick. This is sounding like Rick Moranis from Ghostbusters. Monjolok uh, <laughs> will destroy his family psych, and Leech will flawlessly clean his windows. All while Mantena watches for the cops. You will rue the day, Shagward. You will rule the day. Not surprisingly, Frank stole the show again. <laughs> I mean, he literally stole our show. We had to get the cops to get he it back. He really did. Yes. We heard from our old buddy Andy Kapelish uh, on the April Fool's Day episode. He said he finally got to listen to it. He liked both songs from Daniel, uh, but he wanted to let Daniel Cynical Adams know that he liked the first song a smidge better, which I believe was the version that uh, Daniel did himself. So I think so, yes. Yep. And uh, let's see. Then he gave us a shout-out over on Twitter. and <laughs> He just was fussing at us about the four-hour podcast. But then there's something here I don't get. He says he laughed out loud at the, quote, five minutes crack because I almost did. I have no idea what that was. No, me neither. We made a five-minute crack, I guess? I have no idea. All right. I'd say I'd go back and listen to the episode, but I'm not going to do that. So. I'm not ever going to do that, exactly. I uh, heard from Hector Negrete over on Tumblr and Facebook and Twitter and emails and Google+. This guy is amazing. So I do want to say that uh, he pointed out that I mispronounced Firestorm, uh, the Spanish version of Firestorm. He says, I said it, Ray Lampago. He says it should be Ray Lam. Pago, because there's that was different. I don't know. Anyway, well, the emphasis is different. It's I guess so. Not Red yeah. Lamb Pago, Red Lamb Pago. And he said he played the so game, and he was already at, at one hour and forty one minutes. He was already hammered with my ties on Shag's <laughs> behalf. So now he sent us an email pointing out because we talked about vibe and uh, the difference with Paco and Cisco and how that wasn't. You know, we felt like they were, you know. That we wanted the name Paco rather than Cisco. So, anyway, he says actually Paco and Cisco are the same name, 
both of them are diminutives for Francisco. So uh, Paco is pretty common in Mexico, contrary to Cisco. Uh, he doesn't know if Cisco's used in another Latin American country, but at least it's not here. So I thought that was really interesting. I did not know that. He also described our DC Sampler episode as a marathonic, which feels like a combination of marathon and moronic to me. I, that's how I took it, too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> J. David Weeder left us a, a Facebook comment about the hostess episode. He said, one day I need to get off my lazy butt and write in about Rob's, Rob's Shazam rift. Um, he said, uh, in terms of the so game, I stopped taking shots 20 minutes in. My pancreas is solid stone now. <laughs> <laughs> And then on the DC Sampler episode, oh no, did you leave Shag Sows in again? I may postpone my anniversary plans for this. Awesome. I love that. We heard from Abel Padilla over on Facebook. Gave us a nice comment about the Fire and Water podcast. We heard from Earth 2 Chris, uh, who typically writes in on our Who's Who episodes, but apparently we suckered him in this time. Uh, this is on the Hostess episode. You guys sucked me in. Despite my ignorance of all things New 52, the Hostess ads got me. I had to listen. What kid at the 70s and early 80s doesn't have fond memories of those ads? Now, um, during that episode, we talked about his own collection of, of classic superpower stuff, including the Play-Doh sets and stuff. And he said, uh, and you guys can totally come over and play super, superpowers Play-Doh with me and my daughter. We can even make Play-Doh figures and blow them up with M80s. They'll just go right back together. All that carnage with none of the guilt. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. I really dig that, so... Uh, he left a, a short novel uh, yeah. on our DC Sampler episode, and uh, just kind of picking out a couple of highlights here. He really liked All Star. He said the All Star Squadron spread was epic. I love that book, even though its distribution was spotty in my neck of the woods. So Thomas's wordy dialogue is a bit of a struggle to read through nowadays, but at least you get a full story in each issue. It feels like you actually read something every time. He said Ordway is beyond reproach. True, beyond reproach. And I like that. I mean, that may be because we said we've been searching for a nickname for Jerry Ordway. Maybe it's Jerry Beyond Reproach Ordway. Tough to say. Know. It is true. But he says, uh, he bashes on Frank a little bit. He bashed on me about the Wonder Woman stuff and how I was thinking uh, I had my time frames mixed up a bit. And of course, he'd have to, I'd have to rely on him. I mean, he's, he's one of our go-to guys on history of DC Universe. He acknowledged how nice the Titan spread is. Uh, he, he thinks the Flash spread was inked by Roden Rodriguez. I think he's right. I, I almost guarantee he's right. Yeah, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I kind of knew it when, when we were talking about it. I don't know why I didn't say it, but I think that's true. Now, Roden Rodriguez uh, inked Firestorm for a long time, if I remember right, too. Now, he seems to like Stargirl. I, I'm Starfire. I don't know what's up with that. Um, yeah, you're just wrong on that one, buddy. Anyway, he said he did confirm the Star Trek headshots were used as a DC ad later. He said the death of the Digest really irked him. Now he Me said the too. Clark. He said the Clark's wink at the end. Come on, guys! Not only did George Reeves do it, but how many times did Kurt Swan draw the same damn scene at the end of a Superman story? Turn in your nerd cards, Robin Frank. No, see, I don't think that's fair because it wasn't like we didn't get the reference. I just think Frank said he didn't think it was funny, but I thought we got. The, I knew what the reference was when Clark winking into the camera. So yeah, come so on, that's Chris. How I took it. so tough on us. Uh, let's see. Although he does show sympathy that I got stuck with the third issue. <laughs> So despite the length, this was a fun show. It kept me entertained all day long. Literally, I had to get up from my desk a few times to go to lunch. But for the most part, this thing was buzzing in my ear all day. Wow. <laughs> I don't know that's something worth it to, to brag about. But Got a message from little uh, Russell Burbage from Blue Valley, Nebraska, over on the Aquaman Shrine. He, uh, he said, you know, I, I often wondered if Mara and Aqualad in that Hostess ad 
Uh, if Garth isn't supposed to be Arthur, and the inker and the colors got it wrong. If you look at him in black and white, he looks like Aquaman, especially in the close-ups. I guess we'll never know for sure. That's my theory. So, um, I, th- I think that's quite possibly right. He says his favorite hostess ad was the one with Firestorm. Oh, wait. Uh. <laughs> now, like me, he said, I bet Rob liked Lilith better than Donna, because uh, Lilith had red hair versus brunette. Yep. I'm with you, Shag. Donna was one of my earliest crushes, her and Black Canary. Hubba hubba. <laughs> And he actually said he the episode made him hungry for a fruit pie, and we joked around. And Rob said eBay as a joke. I went out and looked. Sure enough, fruit pies were selling at the time for fifteen dollars a piece on Amazon. That is insane. Uh, he was one of the people that complained about the uh, Martian Manhunter uh, break. Yes. You know, the- the go-to so. break, Martian Manhunter, unlock, whatever the hell it is thing, confused the heck out of me. I'll come back later for the listener feedback. <laughs> uh, and he said he's really – he's down for a Fire and Water podcast meetup. So we just need uh, about 9,999 more people to agree to that, <laughs> and we can pull that together pretty easily. So uh, We got a comment from my buddy Maxo. I'm still working my way through the podcast. I talk about the DC Sampler show. But I wanted to get this out there. Am I crazy or does the background of the Swamp Thing page, sampler number two, look sort of like an abstract representation of Swamp Thing's face? The moon is his eye. The trees in Spanish moss are his eye socket brow. And the shrub in the foreground as his triangular nose thing. I looked at it again. I didn't quite see it there, Max. But uh, I wouldn't put it past Toddleman and Bissette to, to, to layer that in. So it's entirely possible that I didn't, I didn't see it. Uh, we got an iTunes uh, review from Carlos Muca. He runs the Jose Luis Garcia Lopez fan, praise be his name, fan page on Facebook. Uh, the best superhero podcast on the multiverse. Yes, even in the horrible 52 universe. Thank you. Well, Mark. thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> and he left a comment on the sh- on the Shrine about the sample episode. Just when I said that I love Batman and the Outsiders, it was my first Argentinian DC comic collection of comics ever. Great and very long podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yes, it was. Tim Wallace left a comment on the Aquaman Shrine about the DC Sampler. He runs, uh, speaking of blogs, he runs Accord Industries, which is a blog all about the Blue Beetle. Well, that's right. That's right. It's a good blog. I finished it. Finally. It's been a rough week. My place got flooded by a burst pipe on Sunday, 421. I lost some pieces of my collections due to water damage. Along with, yeah, I know. Along with shelves worth nearly 200, to be exact, of trades and other books. But every, I know, it's awful. But every day, listening back and forth from work, the storage facility where I hid my surviving collectibles, the hotel where I've been living, every day I listen to bits of this epic podcast, and I smiled and laughed. Thanks for making it a rough week a little easier, guys. I'm really glad to hear that. I, I can empathize, Tim. I flooded my apartment back in 1995, and I lost uh, a good chunk of comics. I lost a lot of furniture. It was, it was bad, so I can definitely relate. Uh, we heard from our buddy Ange, who runs the Supergirl blog over on Fire on Twitter and Firestorm Fam, and uh, he, uh, he he talked about the po- he talked about the samplers. He does have that the first one himself, and uh, it looks like it was probably the best one based on our comments. Uh, he said having Frank on board was a, was a great bonus, and uh, the Supergirl ad that we bashed, he actually reviewed it and thought it was pretty good. And he had, he had his reasons. We had said having Superman there just sort of like invalidated her being on her own. And he says it, it was the opposite. He said Superman fans would read the pages. Uh, also, if they're um, by the dialogue, um, she, Supergirl seems pretty independent there. And so he just thought that was a, a benefit to having Superman there. 
Also, I was right. He says, and this was was the crisis costume without the headbands. I was right. You guys were wrong. Let's just make sure we all know that. And he said, lastly, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around the fact that you guys don't like Tolkien. Insanity. Uh, we get a first from comment from, uh, I don't want to say it, Mike Dixie Di- wrecked. We'll just, call, just call him Dixie. All right, Dixie. Uh, whoop, whoop, just bought all 35 issues of Arian Lord of Atlantis plus the annual for 99 cents on eBay. Oh, my gosh. Never heard I'm of so, this series? So huh? I'm so jealous because I don't think I own all the issues. you got to tell Coverberg that. Never heard of the series before, but it sounds like it's right up my alley. I'm also intrigued by Spanner's Galaxy. Maybe I'll get that next. You guys are such a great source for finding obscure stuff. So it was a great show. I did listen to the whole thing, including the 45-minute-long giggle session starting at hour three. <laughs> it did sort of degenerate further we went. What do you want from us, for God's sakes? Um, <laughs> from Dawood Fakwarian. Uh, good show, but bad timing. This is an iTunes review. Thank you for the iTunes review. Those really mean a lot to us. Those really help raise the profile of the show. Uh, the gist of what he wrote, though, was that he gets his comics a month later than us. So uh, it's bad timing when we release an episode and he hasn't had a chance to buy it yet. We heard from Dale Russell on uh, this, again, this shocking thing I've never heard of called Google+. Uh, he talks about, he says, I know you like role-playing games, and you've talked about the old RPC, RPG. You should review or have some, uh, take time to review the new DC RPGs. It's a four-book series. The last book has just been released, which actually I didn't realize the last book had been released. I only have three of them myself. I do buy, I do collect the, the new DC role-playing game. It's beautiful. It really is. It's based on the Mutants and Masterminds game, guys. You should check it out. But anyway, um, I'd love to talk about the role-playing game someday, except Rob doesn't understand role-playing, except maybe What is, what is that? Uh, 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 snoring? Okay. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he says okay. he just finished listening to the podcast. I, Role-playing is apparently just too too much for you, huh? I've seen you dressed up in an Aquaman costume before. That's You, you were role-playing. It was Halloween, Jack. <laughs> anyway, uh, I said I just finished listening to two and a half hours. I'm sorry. I just finished listening after two and a half days of trying. So you should do this more often because you get funnier the later it gets. So you can only let the kids listen about the first ad, though. The first hour, though. Then it becomes a dad's only show. Sorry about that. <laughs> yep. Our bad. Uh, Martin Gray left a comment on Google+. Plus. Cheers for another Bijou amusement. I don't know what that means. Sounds good. The Baxter building cutaway in this week's FF number six has me wondering, have we ever had an exploded view of the Aqua Cave, maybe in an animal or a giant? I don't recall one, but I've not read all the Silver Age run. I want to know where Topo rests his weary tentacles. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Reached the end of the podcast. It's been real long and fun. But what was that? Was that the real Diablo Frank or actually Marshall Manhunter pretending to be Bloodwind, a.k.a. El Dorado? <laughs> and will Firestorm ever get his own very own HQ, a firehouse or fire station or whatever? Uh, an answer about the Aqua Cave. In uh, Adventure Comics number 444, where Aquaman does get an Aqua Cave, there is a cutaway sort of di- uh, diagram. Of, it's not like very detailed, like it's like who's who page, but you do get to see all the inner workings of it. So it's a uh, it's a... Those adventure stories from Aquaman are really great, but that one's particularly fun because he gets his, you know, he gets the Aqua Cave, <laughs> which so Jeff Johns exactly, brought back. What exactly are are the uh, all the interiors like the the Aqua Computer and uh, a pearl? Is that yeah, it? Yeah, there's a giant dinosaur and a giant penny and a giant key and the <laughs> statues of Jor-El and Lara and stuff like that. Oh, at least it was original. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we heard from Pa Mo over on Google Plus as well. He said, I know it was a long podcast, but it was a perfect distraction and an otherwise frustrating day at the office. Thanks so much. Got an email from my buddy, Philip Rutledge. Philip has uh, 
one of the larger collections of original Firestorm commissioned art that I've ever seen. It's it's really great. Uh, he puts it all up on Comic Art Fans, and it's just some really really cool cool Firestorm sketches. He's got like he just got one from Barry Kitson recently. It's just some nice stuff. So anyway. Uh, to keep up the great work on Firestorm fan site and the podcast, you and Rob are doing a great job. Love both the regular podcast and the Who's Who. Uh, it brings back tons of memories uh, of that series. That was nice. Uh, we got some Facebook support from uh, Lucien Dazar. Very nice. He also sent us an email, Mr. Irredeemable Shag. Nay, I did not know about the Super Pets. Well, I remember seeing the covers in the stores, but it never dawned on me. This reminds me of the time I wrote an entire novel about a girl going to high school and having a boyfriend that she discovers is a vampire. The day after I finished my first draft, I discovered Twilight was just published. So I have a habit of being behind the wave, no pun, in- pun intended, on most everything. Uh. With this in mind, I present you Havoc, Firestorm's dog, which is a... I you, should, you should explain this, actually. Havoc, Firestorm's well, dog. Uh, he, he goes on to give an entire story about Havoc on how he was living in Beverly Hills... And, uh, well, you know, the best way to do this is just read it. (laughs) Havoc's life was wonderful as he was living in Beverly Hills with his owner, the popular socialite Bunny Diamond. Until one fateful day, Bunny and Havoc were flying to New York in their private jet. The jet encountered a lightning storm that forced them to land into Detroit. While in Detroit, Havoc and Bunny are separating, causing the poor dog to become lost in the urban decays of Detroit. Three days later, in a back alley behind a bank, a teenager by the name of Jason Rush discovers the poor pup and brings him home. The two became best pals until Jason was discovered by the Firestorm Matrix. Alas, Havoc was there as he too became part of the Firestorm legacy. See, that happened. Jason was driving a car when it happened, and I guess the suggestion is that maybe Havoc was sleeping in the back of the car here. All right, back into it. Uh, alas, Havoc was there but he, as he too became part of the Firestorm legacy, but Havoc's new powers came with a terrible price. He forgot his identity. Havoc left the city of Detroit and went into a life of crime, stealing f- food and dog treats from any homes that were in his path. Eventually, he returned to Beverly Hills and encountered his former owner, Bunny. Bunny looked at Havoc and his blazing head and faints. Havoc, is in, Havoc in great despair, flies to the sun, never to be heard from again. Or was he? Dun-dun-dun-dun. I, I love that Lucian took the time to create a character, whole cloth, uh, as, as a sidekick pet for Firestorm. It cracks me up. So thank you for that, Lucy. I think it's fantastic. He had a great comment on the DC Sampler episode. I am writing this to you in 2015. For two years have passed since I started listening to episode 50. <laughs> You'll be happy to know that DC has relaunched Firestorm as part of the new 104. That is awesome. Absolutely <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Uh, we received a series of emails from our good friend Jack Dower, who is uh, – Mostly about one- Penguin. It was one Prozac away from the rubber room, really. But um, he he says, Ahoy, Fleet Commanders, which I always love. And then he goes on to talk about other stuff and how I I use his personal pain as a punchline, as I just did again. Um, Now, one thing he said here that I wanted to point out, he says, Shag seemed like he was pondering discussing some of the old Firestorm series after the unthinkable happens in issue 20. I want to put my vote in for that. It would be great to get a full orb view of the character from someone that is a huge, that someone's a huge fan and, and well informed. Also, I think it would be great if Rob would cover that Dan Jurgens run of, Fire, of Aquaman uh, that you both really loved. And he wrote, So my question is what makes a great Aquaman or Firestorm run to you guys, other than the obvious appearances by Scavenger and Slipknot? And what makes you get pulled off the sales floor at Sears when you have something happen in your respective titles? Um, I'm going to answer the second question first. What gets me pulled off the sales floor? There's really only been one example of a pop culture thing I was into that just 
devastated me, and it was actually Doctor Who related. Uh, there was an actress in the show uh, named Elizabeth Slayton, and she was in the show for a number of years, and she was probably the most beloved companion through the through the seventies. And then she came back with a current show in two thousand five. You know, thirty plus years later, this woman just picks up the same role she played thirty years ago and did an amazing job. So much so that she got her own spinoff series. Doctor Who had spinoff series that, la- and her show lasted four or five years, and then what shocked everyone was she died of cancer. Um, the character? No, no, the actress. Oh, oh, oh. And it put me down, man. I, like I found out at the end of the day at work, I had to go home. Um, I still get, not gonna lie, I still get teary eyed when I think about it. Because she was such an incredibly cool lady, whether it be on the show or in real life. She was incredibly sweet, incredibly generous. And um, she's a great character. I grew up watching her. My kids have now grown up watching her play the same character. You know, a hero, a heroic female lead character. Um, and it it messed me up when she passed. It just really did. And uh, even now, I think I want to change the subject. So, uh, what makes a great run of Aquaman for you, Robert? What pulls you off the sales floor? Oh, boy. Jack always has these really deep questions that we're just too tired to answer. Um, In other words, read that as, I didn't read Jack's comments before we started recording tonight. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. You know, I don't I, – I, I need to think about it, you know? I, I mean, I know what I like. You know, I only sent you the feedback. I know. I know what I like, but I, I don't – I don't know what art is, but I know what I, I like. Seriously, I don't know what makes a great run. I really don't. I really, I, I know it makes a great run of Firestorm. Yeah. Dan Jurgen. Okay. Uh, fun, lightheartedness, uh, the core concept of the character being two people merged into one. You know, the, the sense of discovery, the sense of awe, all that goes into the Firestorm is uh, impulsiveness. That makes a great Firestorm run. All right. Uh, then we get a little insanity with the Penguin, surprisingly, from, uh, from our buddy Jack. He says, let's see. I noticed the Parasol Plunderer has more defenders than just me. <laughs> and I, I, we had posted one of the uh, one of Ryan Daly's playdates with the Penguin. He says, I love the playdate bit. One of my favorite things about the Penguin is the lightheartedness of the character. So, uh, and then so James Gurton notified us that apparently it was World Penguin Day and uh, a few weeks ago. And so I... Send an email to, to Jack, basically saying "Happy World Penguin Day." You know, this it's all yours, man. And uh, he wrote back, "Thanks, Commanders, and Merry Returns of the Season to you, also." Uh, let's see. He says this holiday should be recognized by all enlightened people. As a fan of the monocled Montebank, I he find spent it so much time coming up with those alliterative names. I love it. That's why I want to read it. I find it ranks up there with Washington, Lincoln, and Slipknot's birthday. So break out the tuna, load the umbrella, and put on your best suit and celebrate. <laughs> but one question. You always talk about his great questions. Here's a good one. One question, though. Why do you want me to put on this red shirt before joining the landing part? <laughs> always riding the wave, fanning the flame, and spreading way too much at sea, spending way too much time at SeaWorld. Security officer and fan, Jack Dower. <laughs> P.S. You know this red shirt itches, and hey, is the transport <laughs> supposed to make that funny noise? Uh, we got an email on the DC sampler from, uh, I think it's Chow Cristiano, I believe is how you say it. I think so. Um, yeah, this is Chow Cristiano typing from France. You guys may not believe it, but I am the guy who actually listened to your DC Sampler podcast all the way to the end. 
At one point, <laughs> you mentioned Amethyst was supposed to become a cartoon to be produced by Hanna-Barbera, although it never happened. Well, I'm writing to say that it actually did happen, at least in a way. Have you ever seen a cartoon called Wildfire, also by Hanna-Barbera? It was broad- I have not. No, I have not. It was broadcast in the mid-'80s, and the premise was pretty much the same as the Amethyst series, even though the girl did not grow up as she went from the magical to mystical world. Do you guys figure it, it might have been a way for Hanna-Barbera not to pay any royalties to DC, even though the basic, same basic plot was still used? Looking forward to hearing from you. Ciao, Cristiano. Uh, I'm not having ever seen the show. It's hard for any of us to say. But, you know, I mean, a, a magical girl, you know, a girl going from her normal world to a fantasy world, that's kind of a, you know, not as not as, as a knock on Dan Michigan and Gary Cohn, but it's that's not the, the most original concept in the world. So I think it would be hard-pressed hard to say, you know, it's a copy of Amethyst. Amethyst was probably a copy of other things. Um but it wouldn't surprise me, considering how much Hannah Rivera liked to reuse things, that uh, they didn't have all that amethyst art lying around, and they thought, well, we could make a whole different show about this. Why not? Oh, jeez. Yeah? I mean, that's that's where Scooby-Doo came from. Do you know that? What? From- Scooby-Doo was uh, an old show that didn't get developed, and they repurposed it. That, that doesn't shock me at all. I mean, you know? It was it was Dobie Gillis. Okay. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I would yeah. I would have loved to have seen Amethyst been done like Scooby Doo, where Amethyst is just running down a hall, and you just see like a door, a lamp, a chair, a door, a lamp, and a chair. <laughs> that would have been great. And suddenly, one door is a slightly different color. She so knows. Then you know something's going to pop there. out of it. That would have been great. Right, right. They'd combine that. Yeah. Um, and every episode, really... every episode could have ended with Dark Opal saying it would have worked too if it had been for you rotten Amethyst te- teenagers, whatever. <laughs> we heard from Steve Mandel. I love this email. Uh, What's that? I love the scene. From Steve Mandel on the, on the sampler episode. I just finished listening to episode 50. So tired. What year is it? Have the apes taken over the <laughs> earth yet? First of all, you really need to do more study before talking about the Legion. Uh, I really hope he's talking about you, Rob. Anyway, Richard. Oh, no, he's not. Researchers have performed quantitative Did you analysis. Did def- I forgot what his comment was. Anyway, he's lying anyway. He says, researchers have performed quantitative analysis and have definitively proven that Dawnstar was the hottest legionnaire. You cannot argue with science. Well, I have to say, uh, Steve, maybe I can't argue with science, but I can argue with bunk. Because this is bunk, my friend. Everyone knows. It's, I mean, I think it's written somewhere you know, on a, on a stone tablet in the Ark of the Covenant uh, that the hottest legionnaire is without a doubt uh, Phantom Girl, also known as Apparition. It's it's just factual. That's all there is to it. Wow. And now I've mistakenly brought religion into it. I didn't mean to. Wow. Anyway, uh, I don't remember ever having seen these samplers, but I do remember most of the comics mentioned in them. DC Challenge was a bit of a running gag among my friends, as none of us managed to survive the entire series. But we did like making up our own outlandish endings. No one ever imagined, uh, no one ever managed to come up with a good explanation for those mysterious numbers, including the original writer. Do you think it may have been uh, an influence on the Lost TV show? I was the guy who bought and enjoyed every issue of Thriller. It had some cool characters, including Scarab, who kept his sword in a flap of his own skin in his back. And Data, a computer expert who was so fat that he could never leave the limo that served as his mobile head command center. Says he hasn't looked back on those comics in 20 years uh, because I always uh, appalled at what poor taste young Steve had at that age. I seem to remember the Atari Force was also kind of fun, but that may have been due to my low expectations of such an obvious corporate tie-in. Keep the flame going and the water flowing. <laughs> uh, we got a great email from Professor Alan Middleton. Uh, question. You are planning to visit your grandmother, who lives 275 miles from you. You start episode 50 of the Fire and Water podcast when you leave your house. If you drive an average of 66 miles per hour, how much of episode 50 will you still not have gotten to by the time you reach your grandmother's house? 
Answer, approximately 28 minutes. <laughs> Love that. Uh, then he sent us a separate email about it. I cannot believe I never heard of these DC samplers because this is the exact era that I was most prolific in reading collecting DC comics. I love the number of the miniseries that they produced. I wish that the companies would go back to that model of telling these short, non-tie-in, non-event stories made from the outside the company's main universes. I agree with that, Al. Um, anyway, here's a quick rundown of the ones that were mentioned in this episode that I have or used to have Jem, Son of Saturn. Sure, he was a rip-off Martian Manhunter, but without fear of fire. Thriller. Haven't read them in 25 years. Can't remember any details, except that I sort of liked it. We should uh, get Alan together with uh, our previous uh, previous commenter. Uh, America vs. the JSA. Maybe the best miniseries DC has ever put out. Who's who? Anyone interested in doing a podcast about this series? <laughs> Spanner's Galaxy. Again, I haven't read it in a long time, but I remember it as a very fun sci-fi story. DC Challenge. I totally bought into this, reading every issue as they came out. Sure, the story's not hold together in the least, but I enjoyed it as it was happening. Most of your episodes just feel like they're nearly five hours long. Congratulations on producing one that actually was. <laughs> we also heard from him on Facebook and Twitter as well. So we, I, I like he was he had one of the first comments of the DC sampler yeah. said Firewater Podcast episode number fifty is why they invented one point five times podcast. <laughs> uh, let's see. And then one of his hashtags is still three hours long. <laughs> we heard from Manjit Danjal. Uh, I'm Dangel over on Twitter, uh, which is Manja D, and we also got an email from him. We haven't heard from him in a while. I was kind of thinking maybe he dropped out, but he says, I know I've not been around lately to comment, tweet, plus one, etc. but my wife gave birth to our beautiful baby boy in February. Congratulations. Just kept me... I know, congratulations. He says he's kept him occupied. Now, before you ask, we have not named him Raymond or Jason or Martin or even Arthur, for that matter. Uh, he says they're not very convincing. Uh, I think he had Punjabi, is how you say it, names. So I, I have to come back to uh, what I sent him an email back. So, well, clearly he just went straight for the name Firestorm. Then he, obviously that must be what he named his son. And I'm okay with that. So I like this. I love this comment. Because uh, keep in mind, you know, he lives in a different, I guess, does he live in a different country? Uh, yes, he lives in England. Okay. Uh, he says, I've never had a hostess fruit pie. Don't know if they ever sold them here. Oh, yeah, he's in England. So he Don't know if they ever the sold them. Check. Thanks. I did read it. I even highlighted it, so shut up. All right. I never had a hostess fruit pie. Don't know if they ever sold them in sunny old England. I remember sea monkeys. Do they taste the same? <laughs> I about fell over laughing and dying. I, I don't know if that is an intentional joke or an accidental one, but damn, that's funny. Uh, he said, anyway, I like this one. I had a supermobile, a supermobile, and it didn't look like a snow speeder. I didn't say the supermobile looked like a snow speeder. I said the Lexor 7 looked like a snow speeder. Damn it! <laughs> Whatever. And uh, he gives a nice uh, shout out. Thank you. Thank you. He gives a shout out to Tom Baker. Thank you. Thank and he does talk about some British candy here, which is kind of funny. Oh, I love I just took the wind out of your sails on that one. That's fantastic. Yeah, shut up. We heard from Sean Brock uh, over on Facebook. He also sent us an email on the DC sampler. He said, What can I say? But oh my God. The 50th episode extravaganza was fantastic. I can't tell you how many times I laughed out loud as you guys got punchier and punchier as the podcast went on. It was truly enjoyable. Now, he did take the time to look at the pictures on Tumblr. Uh, if you didn't know that, all the samplers are out there on Tumblr, every single scan. And someone gave credit to Rob for that, by the way. <clears throat> that's yeah, yeah, that's Shag. That's totally Shag. Yeah. Anyway, so some of the ads looked really cool, and, and some just made him shake his head at how lame they were. He said it was very helpful to have that on Tumblr to look at while he was re listening to the commentary, so that's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. 
I know you three were convinced we all left midway through the podcast, but I know regular diehard listeners like me stuck through to the bitter end enjoyed every minute of it. That's very nice. Thank you. I uh, heard from my buddy Roger Preeb, who put together the Jerry Conway DVD. And uh, check this out. He has been going around, I guess for a while now, and getting his DC sampler signed. And he <laughs> sent crazy. me scans. That's crazy. I know. He sent me scans. He's got, like, you know, uh, Mike Barr signing a Batman and Outsiders ad. He's got Fred Hembeck signing his ads. He's got another Mike Barr signature. Uh, I guess that's Jerry, that's Jerry Conway, I think. Uh, Jerry Conway signature on the Justice League ad. Stephen Bissett and Toddlebin on the Swamp Thing ad. Uh, George Perez in the Tales of the Titans. More Fred Hembeck. Uh, Jerry Conway again. George Perez. So, I mean, just amazing collection of autographs he's got, all based on the DC sampler, which cracks me up. <laughs> turning a completely useless book into something valuable. It's kind of amazing. Exactly. We got quite a few comments over on Twitter. I'm just going to run through these pretty quick here. Uh, we heard from Aquaboy, which is... E. Stoner, uh, Retcon, which is Claymation Howell, still one of the greatest taglines ever. Uh, Bradley Lever, which is B. Lever 03. We also got some Facebook support from him. Still on Twitter, Corey Hodgson at Higher Rock. Charlton Hero at the same. Paul Bowler at the same. Floto Spand at GL875. Aquaman Talk at the same. Is it, What is Aquaman Talk, I have by the no way? No idea. We are not connected to them. <laughs> we don't know okay. who that is. Uh, we heard from Joe Slab, uh, J. Slab 425. Justin Stofferman, uh, which Justin Stofferman, or sorry, Dustin Stofferman, which I can't even say that. Dustin Stoffer, or Stoffer, and it's Dustin Stoffer too. A lot harder to say than it should have been. Heard from uh, Lauren Skinskis Art uh, at the same. Mike LaVale, which is Valley Mike 07. Jay Babos, which is Babos Scribe. Uh, Negative Steve at Negative Steve, uh, Amazing Bass at the same. And Anthony Durso at Toy Room. Then just a couple of comments I picked out. Uh, we heard from Tony D about the sampler episode. He said, pack a lunch because the new Firewater podcast is like four and a half hours long. Keith G. Baker uh, on that particular episode said, I'll get to num- – talk about the uh, issues of Firestorm. I'll get to number 19 as soon as I finish the 18-hour podcast. They said, which was worth every minute though. So, and he said, Frank is a treasure. Yeah, that's one way to put it. And we also heard from him on Facebook and Tumblr, which we appreciate. James Gurdon let us know about Penguin Day. He also said a three-hour po- – I'm sorry, his uh, Twitter handle is Nylonis, by the way, Nylonis. Anyway, a three-and-a-half-hour podcast. Don't think my liver can take so much abuse. And hashtag shag drinking game. We heard from Tom Zoller uh, from Love and Capes, which is uh, the book Love and Capes. He is the creator and, and writer and artist of that. He wrote, listen to the four-hour extravaganza. You know, it ran longer than some runs of either character series. <laughs> Boy, ain't that the truth. <laughs> Heard from Jimmy McGlinchey, which is Jimmy McGee. He said, halfway through listening to the podcast on DC Samplers, first time listening to the podcast and really enjoying it. So clearly he hadn't been paying close attention. Then heard from Rod Pruitt, who goes by Lego Nightwing, says, I'm still trying to get through the last episode playing the so drinking game I keep passing out. <laughs> uh, we got a nice mention on Google Plus from the Speed Force, Kelson's Speed Force site. Um, now, to be fair, we did hear from several other people on Google Plus, but we've been mentioning them as we go. Yes. Uh, we got Tumblr support uh, from, these names are tough to say, J. J. Tiberius Wilmot, uh, J. Gardston. Koala's Element, Louis War, 
Baron Davis Neckbeard, <laughs> Anzus369, because I'm not going to say this because it's got the F word in it, because F oranges, <laughs> uh, Malloy Dart, uh, Suji Tunes, I think, Comic Bargains, and Dark On You Crazy Diamond. <laughs> Those are tough to say. Um, we also got Facebook support from Thomas Oswald, Kevin Culp, Giancarlo Nurka, Rod Pruitt, John Gobbin, Brian Frazier, Miguel Angel, Galeana, Ramirez, Randy Schilling, Albert Miranda, Gaston Gabriel Chiesa, William Angora, Chester Aguar, Great Caesars Post, John Reynolds, DJ Shabley, Ronnie Ling, Sean Myers, Fantastiverse, Max Romero, Rob Romine, Dan Colon, and Nathan Lee. Woo! Oh, okay, we're almost done, folks. We promise. <laughs> Uh, we got to give a shout-out to our buddy Ryan Daly. He mentioned us on his blog. He also left us some nice comments on the Hostess Fruit Pie episode. But more importantly, yeah. uh, well, he has also left a comment on the Idlehead blog, which is crazy. So uh, it's crazy sauce even went over there. So anyway, we had to mention Ryan here at the end. <laughs> uh, again, Count Drunkula is his handle because he, folks, is being awarded the much-coveted much praised, much talked about, but never uh, duplicated by other podcasts, the Steam Award. Yeah. He is, in fact, woo, we need the kids. Uh, anyway, he is, in fact, earning the Steam Award because he live blogged, if you will, his commentary on the DC Sampler episode, all four and a half hours. And it is, it is a descent into hell, uh, essentially. <laughs> he, as, as he progresses, begins to lose his mind, and much like we did. And by the end, he is a slathering mess and I believe ended his marriage. Uh, so, uh, Rob, how do we want to do this? We just pick out some good ones uh, here? Or? Well, they're all good in their own way. Um, like I said, he really did, he gave his comments in real time. So they're marked like 4 or 3 p.m., 4 or 5 p.m., 4 or 10 p.m., I imagine, I guess to set the scene, if you will, imagine someone who is videotaping himself going crazy. And then, you you know, you have like the, the little VHS, you know, on the VHS tape and you have the little camcorder, uh, you know, like running time down at the bottom. So this is what this is. We'll just, just skip through this a little but, bit. Well, you know, let me read the first couple, okay. then we'll skip around. Right. It just kind of sets the tone. You know, 403, downloading latest episode of Fire and Water Podcast. Whoa, four and a half hours. Holy crap. So excited. Clearing my Sunday schedule. Bring it on. 405, Frank, guest appearance. Nice half of the podcast. Nice half of the podcast will be insane rants with obscure yet frighteningly specific references to Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown <laughs> or some seventies TV show that's not the Rockford Files, but sounds kind of like the Rockford Files. Can't wait. Four ten p.m. Checking the Fire and Water Tumblr. Dude, two of my Playdate pictures are uploaded. Awesome. Can't wait to get to the listener feedback section to hear what Shag has to say about these. Four eleven p- uh, p.m. All three samplers going to be a long ass time before listener feedback <laughs> then he starts to get into like you know he, we talk about the all-star squadron so he talks about the all-star squadron talks about you know um dc comics presents so he talks about dc comics presents and this goes on and on let's see if we can pick out a couple here looking at fire looking at firestorm spread all these floating heads kind of wish all ronnie supporting guests would crowd in his head with professor stein imagine firestorm bouncing six personalities Five oh, thirty-one p.m. Listener feedback. Nope. Oh my god, that was only the first sampler. Woo. Six oh five p.m. Two hours, fellas. Holy nuts! I hope you didn't record this in one take. Tell me you're up and moving around and not getting bed sores from this episode. <laughs> I think I am. Six twenty-nine p.m. Is that an amethyst spread? Why isn't there a logo? Ha! Rob noticed. Seriously, that would work so much better without the text box and just a big logo telling us what the book is. 
6.39 p.m. Oh, my God. These are averaging an hour 15 minutes per sampler. There's another 75 minutes before listener feedback? Why didn't you spread this over three episodes, guys? You could have had three different guest stars. <laughs> Talked about it. This is where he starts to degenerate. <laughs> the, the, the Justice the America versus the Justice Society ad, we, we, we trashed on that because uh, it could have been so much better, he wrote. You could have just shown the cover to America versus JSA, and that would have been enough to sell the comic. Maybe add a tagline like, featuring the never-before-told origin of the Justice Society. Then it all caps. That's all they need, morons! <laughs> and then, 6.52. So long. Six. <laughs> so hungry, dot, dot, dot. 6.58, Spanish Galaxy. God, come on, guys. Tired and hungry. I hate Spanish Galaxy, and anyone who worked on it or read it! <laughs> Why 704? Why do all these samplers suck? Why are you describing ads that suck? Why are you laughing at me? Uh, then he agreed with me about the Atari Force one. 706. Dogs barking a lot. <laughs> 707. Ew, more sucky ads. More sucky. <laughs> 709. Hurry up and get the listener feedback. Now I can't I, now I can't not see Geoforce's crotch. You're making me hate Jim Aparo and Alphabets. 711. Stupid barking dog. Shut up. Oh, 7.25. I would read the Johnny Thunder series. 7.26. Eh, no, I wouldn't. 7.28. Woof. Done with the samplers. 7.29. The telethon joke is too funny because it's too true. I will pledge $63, but I want my Folding Towers VHS tapes because that's what I got last time. 7.31. Rob, are you kidding me? You're playing some weirdo Croatian talking about Lego Batman for the break. You're deliberately making this episode longer. What's wrong with you? Get to the listener feedback so I can hear my name read aloud and validate my stupid existence. 7.32. Shut up, stupid Lego Martian Manhunter guy. I hate you. I hate all of you. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. 7.35. Yay, listener feedback. Yay. Tired. 7.39. Oh, my God, there's still another hour. Still another hour. <laughs> 7.48, circling the drain. 7.49. Hey, that's me. Playdates are very much inspired by old Twisted Toy for a Theater, Percursor to Robot Chicken. 7.54, woohoo, you read my musings. I feel alive again and still tired. Still 48 minutes left. Did I write anything on Twitter? Don't remember. Should turn this off and go pick up my wife from airport. <laughs> but can't stop. Must hear what Frank's going to do at the end. 8 o'clock, holy God, still going. 8.04, dogs barking again. Wait, you skipped 8.02. Rain. Rain. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't read everyone. 8.05, urge to kill, rising. Simpsons reference. 8.10, shouldn't be, should be laughing about giant-sized man thing, but too long, too tired. 8.12, did I hear Cat Drunk Gilla mentioned again? What were they talking about? Did I say something else? 8.14, still another half hour. What could it be? I'm starting to hate myself for getting involved in this blood podcast thing. My wife's not at the airport anymore. Don't know where. Dogs, rain, wife, Frank, Jaker, dogs, dogs. Hate the rain. Hate DC samplers. Hate listener feedback. 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 Wife, life. 844. That's it. No stinger. What a ripoff. <laughs> he lost it. <laughs> he completely went around the bend, folks. If you want to read all the comments, and there are a lot more. You can read them all in the Aquaman Shrine post. Uh, poor guy. He, he had it posted him like across, I don't know, what, six or seven comments because like that, that stupid yeah. capucha yeah. and all that crap. But uh, so, yes, folks, uh, for his slow descent into hell, which many of you probably went through as well, just didn't have the forethought to write it all down. Um, 
he, he, he does earn the Steam Award. It will be in the mail to you as soon as we get a chance. And uh, Steam Award is exactly the same as it sounds. It is just as tangible as Steam. It just passes right through your fingers. But you will always have it uh, as a point of pride. And imagine having to write all that with your feet because your hands are bound up in the jacket. So it's even more, <laughs> more work. Uh, I will just say this about the stinger or the lack thereof in episode 50. I, I cleared this with Shag beforehand. I wanted to do something about um, some sort of like reference to what happened in Boston earlier in the week, but I didn't want to mention it specifically on the show because it was like, what is there really to say? And you know, I knew it was going to be a goofy episode, and I didn't know there was any. I knew there was not going to be any point to any decent spot in the show to bring it up. But I wanted to do something, so I thought it would be kind of nice to just do a little tribute to Boston as our closing theme. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I should replace the closing theme with the song, which is Jonathan Richmond's um, song. Uh, I forget the name of the title at the moment, but about taking a walk in Fenway Park in Boston Town. Um, but since we kind of ended the show on a slightly serious note, I thought it would be inappropriate to then add a stinger to that at the end to go back. So that's why there was no stinger. I didn't realize anyone cared that much about the stinger, so I apologize. I, I won't. Uh, I'll make sure each show has one at this point. Well, I just can't believe anyone listened all the way to the end to see if there was a stinger. I know. I was, yeah. I feel a little bad. I really thought the, you know, people would just fade out by that point. But no. Count drunk kill the end. There you go. <laughs> well, speaking of hanging to the end, uh, we're there, folks. Oof. You made it again. Congratulations. Uh, I don't think this one was quite as mammoth, but it wasn't short. That's for no. sure. So, folks, uh, next up. I don't want to make any promises, but... Oh, let's not even get into what's next, for God's sake. Well, no, I I think we're going to have a Who's Who episode coming next. Maybe. Who knows? Oh, I really want one. All right, if we don't have a Who's Who episode, that means I'm crying myself to sleep, just so you know, folks. Because I'm I'm jonesing to talk about Who's Who, and I know a lot of you are jonesing to hear it, so... Anyway, uh, folks, you can find us on our blogs, firestormfan.com and aquamanshrine.com. You can find us on the social medias. Uh, at both of us are on Facebook and Twitter at the same name as our blog. And you can also find Firestorm Fan on Google Plus and uh, Tumblr. And, Rob, you can find the, the Fire and Water Tumblr at what address? Firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. And where can they send us emails? Fire, uh, fire and fire, – wait. The Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. The email is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Sorry. There you go, folks. And be sure to visit the Tumblr because, I mean, there's a – Tumblr's a pretty cool place, actually, for a, to find a lot of good comic book stuff out there. So check out either the Firewater Tumblr or the Firestorm Fan Tumblr. You'll see a lot of cool stuff about characters you like. Mm-hmm. So – and we'll put out, uh, if nothing else, just the covers for these issues and maybe uh, – I don't know anything else we think of. Uh, Ryan did send us a few more play dates that uh, – I need to run past Rob to figure out whether we can post them or not. He's <laughs> a little racy. He spends a lot of time posing his action figures in rude poses. It's, uh, and they're absolutely and not picking his wife up at the airport. They're absolutely genius. So absolutely love them. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Send us your feedback. Give us your iTunes reviews. Send us your firstborn children. Uh, meanwhile, uh, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye, folks. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and Oh, man.
friends forever. Yeah. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, so I'll I'll start us off, and then uh, we'll bring Frank in in a second there. Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. See how many times I can screw this up. Coming down in three, two, one. Commander Blank sucks. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of... Oh, shit. Hold on. It's Blank's asshole. <laughs> <laughs> 